Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the UK's biggest Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's season two, episode nine, starring the flay, 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 flames, flames, on the, on the side of my face, Madeline Kahn! It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppet-sational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppet-sational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we are here this week, as we are every week, to discuss another episode of The Muppet Show. However, as you will probably have seen from the episode title, we are not alone. This week we are joined by a very special guest. He is a scriptwriter and a film and television journalist who writes for Film Stories magazine and has previously written for Den of Geek, Slash Film and Bleeding Cool. And conveniently, he happens to be a massive Muppets fan. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brendan Connolly. Good evening. Hello, Brendan. It's not evening, it's whenever people are listening. That's (laughs) the good thing about podcasts, isn't it? Time means nothing. (laughs) Happy 3am to everybody if your podcast habits are anything like mine. Oh, God, yeah. If, if, yeah, if we're uh, helping you get off to bed like some sort of audible uh, sleep timer, then, uh, you know, sweet dreams. <laughs> Dream of the Muppets. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, I suppose the first question we always ask all of our guests is, how did you get into the Muppets in the first place? There's no way I could possibly remember because <laughs> I was around uh, when the Muppet Show started, right? I was the original audience for the Muppet Show. So when when I was um, knee high, uh, that's when it first started airing. Mm. And um, I can remember seeing many episodes. I certainly can't remember you know, them particularly vividly, but I knew that I loved it. I knew that, that it was Sunday evening. I knew that I would either have my bath before or after. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but never so, during. You know, <laughs> never, never during. I know that I immediately uh, uh, just gravitate to it. I mean, it's pure Walter experience, really, oh. to be honest. I mean, when I, in 2011... What is it uh, people say? I mean, I felt seen. That felt like it was a dramatisation of my life, Mm -hmm. actually, in many respects, the the 2011 movie. And um, when I was about Walter's height, that's how I lived. (laughs) So I don't remember how I got into it. I think it's probably there were three television channels. That was the one in which something family friendly was on. Once you've seen it once, you don't not come back. Yeah. So, you know, that was going to be that was going to be the Sunday night thing. But I do remember quite clearly, actually. Um, and and this was an age before BHS even really. I mean, it existed, but nobody really had it. That the next day at school, it had already taken seed, right? Mm-hmm. So I played group early, early primary school, depending on what year of the Muppet Show we were looking at. But by the time we were in seasons three and four, I was going to school the next day, and we were talking about it, and we were playing the Muppets, and and we we picked up the songs, you know, even so. So immediately, immediately, it was a big part of my life, but not just not just mine, but 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 especially mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really was. I mean, it, I mean. 
for us, they are always a cultural phenomenon. But to have been there, I guess, when that Muppet Show was first uh, launched onto the screens, it, it, like, like we can't quite imagine it. I mean, apart from, I suppose, maybe for us when the 2011 film came out, because for us, you know, the Muppets Christmas Carol and Treasure Island were sort of like these ubiquitous things that were already there. I don't remember them coming out but uh obviously discovering the 80s films. i have see, to that's it you. that's your relationship you see with the with those movies is my relationship with the show i guess yeah. it was always there and I, and I always loved it so when you were playing the muppets at school who were you uh before well, who were you playing that's the thing isn't it see i've always looked up to kermit and never felt that i was kermit right and I think this reminds me of Chuck Jones, right? He says uh, he wanted to be Bugs, but he knew he was Daffy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, yeah. right? And 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 I can't I can't honestly say quite that one pinned me down, but at times I felt a bit scootery. Everyone feels a bit Gonzo sometimes. That's <laughs> but that's the magic of Gonzo. But Robin, I think actually, Aww. often found sitting halfway up the stairs. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, do you know what? I don't think we actually had that record in our house. And you, but when you it was on the radio, the only it was ones, like, play it loud. The only ones in England that didn't have that record, according maybe, to the maybe, record I mean, sales that, that we saw. It. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so they say, don't they, you're never more than 10 metres away from a copy of Abba Gold, right? <laughs> and I reckon you probably only have to go 15 metres to get a copy of Robin's uh, I think you're right, you're right. <laughs> I can literally see, I can see my copy of Abba Gold from here. <laughs> well, there you go. So you're you're screwing up the average, uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, you know, and um, I don't think we had it, and I don't know. Wh- well, I'm the youngest of seven children. My dad works in the car factory. My mum picked potatoes on the farm. We might have all wanted records. We might not have all got the ones that we all wanted yeah. all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when it was on the radio, like I would stand in front of the radio. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and. I mean, we've been doing a little bit of research and some of our listeners might already have seen your interactions with the Muppets before, but uh, how is it meeting the Muppets? What is that like? Because I think that's something that all three of us have dreamt of many times. Lusting well, after, I, I, uh, <laughs> like a... I wrote an article in a magazine, actually, one of the Bleeding Cools print magazines, and the article is called Everybody Should Meet a Muppet. And, <laughs> and I think... I mean, I really wish one day everybody does get to meet him up here, right? Um, I can tell you this. I I was quite nervous beforehand. And people say things like, you know, don't meet your heroes. And you don't want to know how the sausage is made. And all these, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain, all this sort of stuff. So I was quite apprehensive. And I I was... um, in in a in a posh hotel in London, uh, at the press junket to, to give some context, press junket for the 2011 film, and I was going along and I was going to interview Kermit and and Miss Piggy and then go to a press conference with with them and and, and various other Muppets, and um, this was going to be my first encounter with with Kermit, and I I mean that's <laughs> like I mean come on right I don't need to explain to people listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, and I was standing in the um in the sort of holding area sort of eating breakfast pastries and sort of heart rate going up and up and up. And I looked across and uh, this guy came up the corridor, sort of hippie, shambled up the up the corridor. And I thought, I know that. I know that face. It was Steve Whitmire, mm-hmm. right? And um, no one clocked him and he saw me see him. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he knew he'd been recognised. <laughs> you, you gave him the look of like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he probably doesn't get recognised very often. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm that guy. I saw Alex Cox in the street in Oxford once and I walked up to him and I said, Mr Cox? And he was like flabbergasted. Who are you? I saw Mark Romanek coming out of a tube station in London. Oh, Mr Romanek. And he was like, what? And he'd never been recognised before. So I'm the guy, like film directors, for some reason, I know what they all look like, film producers, script writers. I know what they look like. What a useless skill. No, Somebody should make a game show out of this. I'd be, not I'd be not really rich. I think my career would be a lot better if I could do that. Sort of, uh, <laughs> memory recognition. It, it, it becomes a bit embarrassing walking around Soho because you're trying to avoid eye contact because you just don't want to ruin anyone's day. Right? <laughs> but um, I saw, I saw, you know, Steve Whitmar go up this, this corridor and, and we clocked each other. And I thought, okay, well, you know, what effect will that have? And I walked into the to the room where I, I thought I was going to interview Kermit. And... Um, uh, there's a chair there and it doesn't have a bottom. It's like the back of a chair and there's no seat on the bottom of the chair. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, what? And there's Steve lying on the floor and I'm like, what? And he's got his hand in some sort of like rag he's or had something. An accident. <laughs> like some sort of like cloth laying over his arm. And then his arm comes up and out of the corner of my eye, I see Kermit the Frog without a, without a word of a lie, sort of stretch like he's waking up in the morning. Almost like bagpuss, right? Almost like bagpuss yawning. And then I clocked him. And from that second on, it was just just the two of us. Yeah. And I sat down and, um, and, and it didn't weaken anything. It didn't destroy my notion of, of Kermit as an independent individual. If anything, it completely solidified it. And 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 you've got to experience it to really know. Yeah. But the, but the experience is for seven minutes or however long it was. I was in that room with with Kermit. I was just sitting in there with Kermit. I have met Kermit the Frog. Now, you know, slightly afterwards, half an hour later or whatever, I was still a bit dazed and I was wandering around and I was called to go in and speak to to Piggy. <laughs> and I I came out from from speaking to to Piggy. And somebody from Disney was in there said, you know, how was that? And the first thing I could think of to say was like, she's she's just gorgeous. <laughs> she just looks, in life, she just looks radiant, right? And I mean, I think she looks great on camera, but in life, there's just something about, mm. that Billy Wilder said about Marilyn Monroe, that um, she actually had like a, a sort of a quarter inch of hair all over her face, blonde hair all over her face. And that's what caught the light and sort of made her look radiant, right? She had a particularly hairy face and it sort of made her glow. And you can't see it on camera, but you see the effect of it. And that's kind of piggy in a way, really. <laughs> She's kind of kind of got this angelic, beautiful um, texture to mm-hmm. her, right? Yeah. And I came out and I was sort of talking about how beautiful she is and actually how she looks. And this is, and I, I don't mean this in any sense this is not any denigration on how she normally looks, but she sort of looks slimmer than she does on screen and stuff like that as well. Well, the camera does add because... 10 pounds whether you're <laughs> right, a yeah, but or in, not. In, but in, in Piggy's case, that would mean that she weighs about a gram, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I stood there and like the lady from Disney was like chuckling at me, like, oh, you're so crazy, you're nuts. <laughs> at which point the next person came out and she said, oh, what was it like? She went, She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. And this young lady just interviewed her basically repeated everything I said. So I was like, see? Yeah. And and you can't, until you see it with your own two eyes, it's kind of impossible to, to explain. But the truly the most baffling thing was they said, look, this afternoon we're going to have a press conference. Stick around, come to the press conference. We'll have a little round table. You can speak to them there as well. And I was speaking to various other members of the press. And they're like, oh, no, no, we're back to the office. We're going back to the office. I'm like, there is a live 
Muppet Show <laughs> happening this afternoon. You're one of the the handful of people who are invited, and you are quite going back to the office. <laughs> baffling. It's like, but it's but it's it's meeting icons. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it, yeah. it's madness. They must have just been overcome. Like I could just imagine they were like numbed or staggered by it because like there's no rational reason to make that choice. No. no. <laughs> um. Sim- similarly, uh, jumping ahead, tell you another story. The next time I met Kermit was on the set of what is now known as Muppets Most Wanted, but was in production under the name Muppets Must- again. Again. Yes. A much and, better um, title. Much better title, actually. The, the biggest, my biggest issue with that film is that they they lost the great title. And there's even jokes that hang it's on the whole song still at the, the beginning. Film. Yeah, it's got an the entire whole song, song at the beginning. It's got a whole song. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Madness. Yeah. Madness. Anyway, so I was on the set of, of Muppets again, <laughs> as it will always be. Muppets going forever, and um, uh. We sort of sat down and we had lunch and a lot of people sort of dressed as um, guards from the Gulag were sort of having lunch with us and stuff like that. And um, after lunch, I started feeling a little bit a little bit lightheaded. I was getting a little bit, oh, hello, I'm not quite right. I'm not sure what's up. So I sort of had a little bit of a sit down and then uh, I saw Kermit out uh, sort of on the on the studio floor, not, not, not where they were shooting, but sort of behind the cameras. I just got up and just went over to speak to him. I mean, I just, you just do. I just magnetised and got up and went. So I stood there, I was having a chat with Kermit. I had a chat with Walter as well. Uh-huh. Um, while Kermit went off to film a, film a scene. I can remember very clearly, I say to Walter, I said, oh, I like your watch because he's wearing his Kermit yes, watch. Yes, I love Walter's watch. And he kept his voice down and sort of started miming and doing a little bit of sign language and stuff because they were rolling at that point. They just started rolling. Um, I had this little chat with Walter there. Anyway, shortly after this, they... They they went off. There were no Muppets around. And I fainted. Oh, no. Um, and when I came around, I was in front of a huge picture of Hattie Jakes. Because this was the studio. <laughs> I literally which... just did a spit take. Sorry. I know. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, matron. Yeah. If, only this was, if only this were a vodcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, uh, this was also the studio where they filmed a lot of Carry On, you see. So their med ward was well, that covered makes... in pictures of Carry On Matron and... and Carry on, Doctor, and so on. Well, that makes more but sense. To, to come around, sort of like in the giant bosom of Hattie Jakes, like, what is going on? Uh, so they sort of checked me out. And, you know, it actually says in my official sort of author's bio, I've met Kevin three times and only fainted one of those times. <laughs> um, uh, but they said to me, they said, look, the coach is going back to, to London soon. And I lived in Oxford, and we were sort of closer to Oxford than we were to London. So it was quite frustrating, this idea that I was going to be sick all the way back to London. Mm. They said, if you can find anyone who can come and pick you up, you can, and here are the exact words, you can just hang out here this afternoon with the Muppets until someone gets there. (laughs) And I swear, I was at some point, I was just making up phone numbers trying to find someone. (laughs) And my wife was in a huge meeting. Her phone was off. I couldn't get any of my friends. And in the end, they just had to put me on this coach. And that's that's just the most disappointing thing that ever happened. I went to the doctors the following day, found out everything was going to be okay. I had to convalesce for a little while. And a couple of days later, I was like, oh, you know, I'm starting to feel a bit better. I'll listen to my audio. That'll cheer me up. And um, I had an audio recording from when I was speaking to Kermit on, on the floor. And of course, you know, I went over and spoke to him. And of course, other press, hornets, locusts, uh, swarmed around <laughs> like they are. 
And um, I stood there speaking to Kermit and I listened to the audio and I thought, he's really quiet. It's quite frustrating. I wonder if someone's got better audio, right? So I um, I phoned around and uh, I couldn't find anybody who was there. So Disney said, look, we'll ask. And they got someone from Japan and someone from Belgium and they sent their audio and it was really quiet as well. I was like, what's going on? It's not like Kermit whispers or anything. And then we realised we'd all been holding our dictaphones yep. up to the frog. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. So <laughs> and I have no recollection of Steve being on the set. Yeah. I can only remember Kermit. I have no recollection of Peter being on the set. I can only remember Walter. Yeah. That's because they're not. It's because the Muppets are in the movie. Like, they're. It's, it's, it's total. <laughs> yeah. It's complete yeah. and total. And um, I really hope for you three. Oh. I mean, like, if if I win the lottery, guys, I'm going to make it happen for us all. Oh, right? we'll all but um, uh, I really hope for you three that this podcast m- means it happens. And it's you, the only you, reason we and started you bring, it. You bring <laughs> me with you, right? You bring me. Yeah. Oh, deal. Oh, we're gonna get. We're gonna hire right. like a party bus. Like the amount of people that we, you know. yeah. yeah, get the electric mayhem bus, right? Yes, yes exactly. Fantastic. And I was just going to say, we need to make sure that we take the seats out so that they can all fit in it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah just the backs of the seats. Just the and backs. Not the... Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I was just thinking, Brendan, while you were talking about that and obviously meeting them, fulfilling, you know, a lifelong dream to do so. Did it ever, you know, did you ever have that realisation when you were a kid that they were filming in England and also as we found out that you could go and visit the workshop and things, you know, was that, was that ever anything that was on your radar? So I was, I was, I was a bit young to think I could sort of up and visit them. And in fact, do you know what the truth is? I was growing up in Oxford, very much on the town side of the town again. I didn't even think I could visit the university of Oxford. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let alone, do you know what I mean? So I'd walk around my city center looking at all this stuff and it was all cl- closed off and, um, you know, the d- d- dream would just be going into the Bodleian Library, yeah. let alone go to it. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, our world kind of felt quite small mm-hmm. then in a funny sort of mm-hmm. way, uh, or mine did at least. Um, but by the time Labyrinth came out, the idea of visiting the Creature Workshop was was very exciting to me. But how would one yeah. do that? Yeah. I just didn't know. And, and you know, um, the truth is I did quite well at A-level in things like maths and science and things like that. And my parents had bought me a computer when I was very young and it seemed to me I was on tracks to do something very mathematical or computer science based. So I went off to university and I chose the most arts-based degree I could find that was related to that. And it was cognitive science and artificial intelligence, right? So I went off to study this and I came back at my first break and I went to visit a friend who worked in a cinema and he was sitting in the ticket box selling selling tickets and i had to queue up to speak to him right because there was a guy in front of me speaking to him and this guy was basically asking him for free tickets and um and i was like what's going on here and this guy said well i've got a magazine and i you know i want press tickets so i can review films and i said oh yeah that's cool what's the magazine he told me about the magazine he said you know i really don't want to do it right? i don't have a film journalist and i said i'll do it <laughs> i'll do it and he went okay so I left university and became a film journalist wow. in the queue oh, wow. at the cinema. Um, <laughs> I love that. And ha- um, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yes. When Tarantino comes in wearing the dressing gown, mm-hmm. that T-shirt he wears, that character on it is Orbi. That is the mascot of Orbit Film Magazine, the magazine for which I was a film critic oh. at the time he was making Pulp Fiction. So um, I <laughs> take that quite personally. That's so it's <laughs> like I love the idea that you know there's people who sort of like 
dream of you know internships at Empire, and you just approached it. You just walked up to a guy, <laughs> ticket booth, and then I mean, started an entirely <laughs> prolific career in film and television journalism, which also concluded yeah. in you getting to meet the freaking Muppets. Like, I mean, that, that's my point. That's my point. I just went, I'll do it. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I think I can't. I think the first press screening. I went to might have been the Flintstones actually, which had some Henson sure. Creature Shop stuff in it. Actually, if I if I remember correctly, yeah, they've got. Uh, actually, we were literally talking about that yeah. movie a couple of <laughs> oh, weeks ago. Yeah. We, on one of our many diversions <laughs> off off of the Muppets, but sort of. Off. Well, it's not dinosaurs, is it? Let's no, just say right. it, um, it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> compare. But um, um, yeah, so um, you know, somewhere down that path, it was sort of a little light in the distance that I was sort of moving towards, you know. Yeah. And there was a lot of pain, and there was a lot of trouble, and sometimes, you know, I, there were literally, literally times where I felt like I've been ripped off, really, or, or mm. you know, it just I, I shouldn't really say these things, but sometimes, sometimes you, sometimes it costs a lot of money to do this job, mm-hmm. and you don't get paid a lot of money to do the job, right? But I got to meet Kermit. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, oh, Brendan, amazing. amazing. That is so amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, I suppose we should actually move on to the uh, the episode that we are due to cover uh, today. So I suppose actually, because we give all of our guests the opportunity to to choose which episode they they would like to speak on, and uh, Brendan, you chose Madeline Khan. Is that um? I suppose the question is why, why, why this episode? Well, I love her really. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's that simple. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, um, somewhere between Gonzo and Sam the Eagle. I think really. That's a good place to uh, be in my affections for, for, for Madeline. I think, I think <laughs> certainly not full tilt Gonzo, and certainly not full tilt <laughs> Sam. <laughs> but um, uh, I think she's truly, truly, truly wonderful. One of the most charismatic people I've ever seen on screen, and she. She, I think there's something brilliantly melancholic about her as well as mm. comedic, and I think, I think, um, Paper Moon is very much one of my favorite favorite movies. In fact, um, uh, occasionally I get a little bit carried away on Twitter and I do massive threads about things, and I do a big big thread about about Paper Moon and about all the technical reasons I love it and all the artistic reasons I I love it and I, I didn't really mention her in it actually but she she uh was Oscar nominated for, mm. for that film and if the Oscars mean something and they they don't but if the Oscars <laughs> were to mean something uh that would be a travesty really that she she didn't win I think to be honest but um you know you started by by evoking uh Clue yeah. or uh Cluedo as it is to to uh, <laughs> grown-ups um and um I say grown ups. I'm married to an American lady. I shouldn't be. Um, call it Clue if you want, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we have a lot of American listeners as well. It's Clue. It's fine. <laughs> the movie's Clue. The game is Clue. Yeah, though. The game exactly. Is clue. Um, yeah. But um, I'm a I'm a I'm a crazy full tilt board gamer, and I love murder mysteries. And there you go. So that one was always going to be and Tim Curry and Eileen Brennan and. So that was always going to be a big, big movie for me, but she, she steals that as well. Oh, I think, absolutely! Right? She's just, yeah. I mean, we'll we will get on to her, but uh, uh, Jade, why don't you uh, kick us off with some production information? Yes, let's get started. So this episode was originally broadcast on the seventh of October, nineteen seventy-seven. It was written by Jerry Jewell, Joseph A. Bailey, Jim Henson, and Don Hinckley, and directed by Philip Casson, and. 
I mean, we've already started talking about Madeleine Kahn, but Emma, what what else can you tell us about uh, the wonderful Madeleine? Iconic. <laughs> Iconic, yes. Um, so uh, Madeleine was an actress, comedian and singer. And like Brendan was saying, she was best known for starring in the film uh, Paper Moon, but also she was in a lot of films directed by Mel Brooks. So she was in Young Frankenstein, High Anxiety, um, Blazing Saddles. She was on Broadway. She obviously had a cameo um, in the Muppet movie. Um, She was on a lot of TV shows, SNL, um, The Carol Burnett Show. And yeah, she just seems like an amazing kind of all-round performer, a really charismatic lady I absolutely love her in this episode um and there's actually um unfortunately she passed away of cancer um quite quite young um in her 50s but there's a a, the bench in Central Park dedicated to her which I think is really lovely yeah her husband uh did it yeah um which I would love to see one day actually if I get back to New York at some point (laughs) uh she's I mean she's just so amazing and such a her energy as a comedic performer Mm. is just so it's like ever so slightly off kilter like every line delivery she gives is never quite what you expect it to be it's not route one is it yeah it's not the obvious and but at the same time it's not it doesn't feel um kooky do you know it doesn't feel like a a put on kind of it there feels like a truth in it and just a slight kind of like off just a, a, it's exactly that Lewis yeah. she's not peddling cliches basically. Yeah. Mm. but I think what you said Brendan about it her being melancholic I think that's quite mm. a good way of looking at her too because I think there is a sort of yeah like soulfulness in her yeah. a, a little bit I think it's not yeah I, she's definitely not going group one with with her choices in in how no. she's playing it either yeah. I would also like to just very quickly recommend to our listeners, um, as well as being a very prominent uh, film actress, uh, she obviously did do a lot of uh, stage stuff as well. Um, one video I would highly recommend they check out is Madeleine Kahn singing Not Getting Married Today from <laughs> Company. Everybody's favourite YouTube clip. It's just, I mean, the speed and the articulation that she does that already quite like notoriously difficult song. And and then she nails the character as well doesn't she i mean she really just it's just a sensible clever yeah understood i mean it's understood for want of a better term yeah exactly it's just so it's it's although i was saying she's off kilter it's such a grounded performance of that song which can be so it can be nuts if you want it to but she just keeps it so sort of like peddling 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 and then she has one little i'm not well and (laughs) it's just oh it's delicious so yeah um madeline can not getting married today from company well actually or getting married as it's actually called <gasps> well yeah fine everyone thinks it's not because for obvious reasons yeah. but um uh, oh there you go i don't think I that even trickster that, that trickster there Sometimes, with his tricky yeah. clever lyrics i know isn't it just <sighs> right anyway i just need to put that recommendation on there um let's jump into the episode um so it does seem basically like every single uh <laughs> muppet that we meet is obsessed with Madeline Kahn right from the jump. Because <laughs> can, Sandy... can I actually can I interrupt you here? Yes, because I think the something hugely important happens in this episode before we even see uh, anybody enter the dressing room. Go for it. The very first frame 
is a black and white picture of Waldorf and Statler on the wall in the dressing room. Yes. And this is a clue to one of the huge mysteries of the Muppets. And you need another clue that's in the Leslie Ann Warren episode to really understand what's going on. Why are Waldorf and Statler so bitter about the Muppet show? Mm. What's their problem? Well, if you ever go to a theatre, let's just imagine you're in the Gilgood in London, you're walking around, as well as the pictures of Gilgood himself, you'll actually see black and white pictures of other people who have performed in that theatre there. They don't put up pictures of people who haven't. Waldorf and Sattler have performed in this theatre before. That's why their picture is there. And we know that they were, in fact, headliners because the poster on display backstage when Gonzo comes crashing in on his bike on the on the Leslie Ann Warren episode uh, is headed Muppet Theatre, Waldorf and Statler in a box of their own. Wow. Very ironically. Very ironically. Oh. So they're former headliners in the Muppet Theatre and they now pass their prime and that's what they're so uh, crotchety about. So bitter. Oh, it wow. Makes so much and it's sense. it's there. <laughs> Oh, it's a little Easter egg. It's like uh, it's like watching Lost. You're just picking up the clues as you go along and trying to make sense of, make sense of the mystery. And they slip it right past you at the beginning in in a shot that's sort of above suspicion almost. Why would you expect anything? Do you know what I mean? But it's just said. And I'm not saying that they're genius murder mystery schema type <laughs> minds, but they did win the uh, the murder mystery of the year award for for the Liza Minnelli episode. So you know, Jerry Jewell is uh, he's into this. Well, life, and though. okay, so uh, well, our listeners know this from our Steve Martin episode, which was the episode before this one. Yes. Um, we were originally going to record that episode with Brian J. Jones and uh, sadly had some technical issues. Yeah, we did do it. We just didn't record it. We just didn't record it. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that Brian was talking to us about, um, and hopefully when he comes back on, he'll talk about it again. But he was talking about how Frank Oz wrote backstories for all of his characters. And this makes me wonder if some of the other characters did have very in-depth backstories as well. I mean, Statler and Waldorf oh, I'm sure. clearly must have because that's that's just a level of plotting and detail that you don't just get from just randomly putting it together. Yes, it's it's not it's no, not a mistake. It's no. not a mistake, is it? Um, uh, I think Jim's Red Book, which is probably in reality several hundred Red Books, but I think Jim's Red Book probably contains so much material. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if we could get our eyes in there. Right. <laughs> I mean, I came quite, I came quite close once. I've been to the Henson Studios on, uh, um, uh, in Hollywood. There, um, in fact, um, I'll tell this story later on. Actually, it comes Ooh. up. But I'll, we'll come back to this later. Okay. Oh, look, look at you just plant, planting the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so when once we've moved past the uh, the frame one board of Easter egg, yeah, yeah, first frame. You know when we were talking about finding out how long audacity has if we're going, <laughs> one, if we're going one frame at a time. Be... Um, yeah, so I thought it was really clever with this how quickly Sam the Eagle managed to slide into her room after Scooter had left. Like, I think I literally blinked, and Scooter seemed to become. Sam the Eagle. It was it was so swift. It was amazing. But I loved him saying to her, You are an artist of integrity. You should not be doing this weird sick show. And she's just merrily putting on her nose and her wig with her party streamer. 
Yeah, it was so great. And really also, great. It, it does beg the question as why Sam the Eagle does continue to <laughs> hang around with these people. Buried somewhere in one of the episodes will be like, you know, the back of a napkin or something that answers that question once and for yeah. all. We just haven't spotted it yet. <laughs> um, I'd like to know if, if those glasses sort of like, when she put put them on, if you thought, oh, Groucho Marx. Yeah, I did a little yeah. bit. But there was no moustache, was there? No, I, I just, I, I asked because I'm quite curious as to as to, to whether young people like yourselves are still sort of familiar with Groucho Marx or not. I, I used to be a teacher. Yeah. And one of my students, um, I was talking to her about the Muppets and this was in, I'd say 2009. So this was, this was the dark ages. Yeah. And I asked her, um, you know, something about the Muppets and she, she said, what's that? Is that that cartoon with a pig? Wow. And I was like, oh, you're so close, and yet you're that I wonder if she'd thing. seen Muppet Babies, though. <laughs> I think that must be what it yeah. was. But, but Muppet Babies hadn't been on air since she had been they did. microscopic. So <laughs> I, I mean, I watched Muppet Babies when I was younger. So they did definitely rerun it for a while. Um, but yeah, mm. I mean, that would have presumably been a, a distant memory of for her back, even back then. I think that's then. it. I think she could, yeah. I think... She she was probably watching Muppet Babies when she was about the age I was watching the Muppet mm-hmm, Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something for every generation. Yes, but yes, we I think we can very proudly say that we did all recognise the uh, the <laughs> the Ground Show Mark silhouette. But then again, uh, we are three uh, freaks who really enjoy uh, pop culture and film Nerds. television. So. Nerds. exactly. So you know, <laughs> we're maybe not the uh, the right test sample to find out if the the, the man on the street knows what those <laughs> that that outline is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying to like sway the results. Um once we get past the um opening scene, we get something that we have not had for quite a while. We get Kermit doing a number. We do. And I thought it was really interesting that he basically introduced himself. <laughs> I know. I loved him <laughs> well, in his little tux, his little 1970s yeah. frilly tux. I love that tux on him. Yeah, it was it, so cute. It's, that was close to being outfit of the week, nearly <laughs> like that little, <laughs> that little frilly tugs. Happy feet, I've got those happy feet. Give them a low down beat, and they begin dancing. I've got those ten little tapping toes, and when they hear a tune, I can't control my dancing heels to save my soul. Weary blues. Can't get into my shoes Because my shoes refuse To ever grow weary I keep cheerful on and cheerful On music sweet Cause I've got hap hap happy feet I got quite excited when he said he was going to do happy feet. I was like, oh my god, are they, you know, if they worked out how to do full on Kermit legs Full, full frame. You mean worked out? Worked out? You just have to pan down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead, we got a load of like 70 side swipes and <laughs> We got like the that. Joel Grey multi, multi like split screen split when he screens. was doing his razzle dazzle number. I just started having uh, flashbacks to that terrible episode of Turbish. No, but it was Kermit. It was so oh, cute. Oh, yeah, that it was very cute. Now, I've, I've seen Kermit do this live. Um, in the live show that they they oh, did what, with uh, Bobby Moynihan, yes, uh, they did it at the O two. Yes, uh, he came out and did this and uh, quite full bodied. Um, and um, 
uh, you know, he can tap. I think that's the, you know, if anybody thinks he's, they're filming in front of the waist, he can't really. <laughs> no, 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 no. He can tap. There's a couple of myths about tap dancing. One is that um, uh, Gwen Verdon dubbed Gene Kelly's taps in Singing in the Rain, but the truth is Gene Kelly actually dubbed them himself. I never heard that rumor about Gwen Verdon, but that's fabulous. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, uh, that's that's a, that's a scurrilous rumor. That but, sounds um, like one that Gwen Verdon might have planted. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it very much sounds like it, doesn't it? But we're singing in the rain, and it's plot about dubbing and so yeah. on as well. You can see. But um, the reason he doesn't have taps on the bottom of his shoes is so you can clean recording as he's walking about in the rest of the scene. You see, so you have to then. Dub them. But he actually dubbed his own taps. And the other one is that Kermit can't tap, and that's why they filmed him from the waist up. And it, you know, it's all a bit, ri- but a uh, bit river dance, isn't it? The way they've done it, really. But no, he can tap. I've seen it with my two eyes. That, that, that good. We've got we've got verification. It's just it's so nice. I, I was thinking about this as the the song was going on. Sometimes, particularly on the Muppet Show, it feels like Kermit is a little lumbered with the kind of, I mean, obviously, uh, to make this reference, like the Liz Lemon position of the other Muppets are getting to be wacky and having fun and he's stuck by his desk trying to keep order. And it's so nice when actually Kermit gets to have some fun because it doesn't happen as often as maybe you think it does. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's kind of... By his design, mm. though, really. Yeah. Like, I'm the guy at a party that you'll find sitting a, in the corner reading a book sometimes. Mm. You know what I mean? You just sort of, or, or actually just walking out and slipping home when no one realises it or, or whatever. <laughs> ah, maybe, coming, maybe coming back later. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that's the thing with Kermit. He's, he's found his, where he's comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Mm, and I yeah. think he, you know... Oh, yeah, he should be free to do whatever the heck he wants. And I just mean, as a viewer, it's quite nice just to see our sort of... Uh, it's like seeing, I don't know, a teacher you like, I don't know, get to do something fun. <laughs> During <laughs> the end of term sketch show Yeah, or exactly. Yeah, sort of go, oh, yeah, my God, yeah. look, they're actually really funny. Uh, <laughs> I also thought what was really nice with this was that there was a level, obviously, of knowingness and playfulness with it being shot from the waist up, but that it wasn't done in such a sort of winky winky sounds bad it wasn't done with such a wink that that you as a viewer kind of felt like oh i can't enjoy this because they're really really playing on this like he was still clearly having the time of his life and singing along and then when it got to the swipes and the multi screens and then the million kermit faces on screen and everything like it was just sort of overwhelmingly Kermit and fun. <laughs> That's because you could look at nothing else but his face. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, I loved that. Like, that was fine. <laughs> Something really weird happens when it goes kaleidoscopic, though. Um, he doesn't multi-track his voice. You don't hear lots of other Kermits. Mm. You actually hear other voices. Yeah. You've got uh, Richard Hunt and Jerry Nelson in there and, and maybe Frank. Um, uh, and And that's an interesting choice yeah i thought that too i was expecting at some point maybe when we cut back to see some other muppets surrounding him or something but obviously it's still just him just 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 in the recording studio they Mm. didn't turn up on set yeah Mm. but um uh uh, you know it's not that easy to harmonize yourself so (laughs) very true Um, so then we go into the the sort of the the main b plot of the episode which is basically 
Gonzo has a crush on Madeline Kahn, and it's absolutely adorable. <laughs> Emma, what did you think of this B-plot? Yeah, no, I thought it was really, really quite sweet. I love the fact that we kind of opened this backstage with uh, Gonzo and Eric the yodeling clam. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so Gonzo, isn't it? And then I love the fact that obviously like Madeline comes in and says he, you know, she finds him terrific on the show and, you know, really likes him. And then suddenly he's like, right, the clam's out of here. This is my new. (laughs) That clam's chowder. Yeah, that clam is chowder. (laughs) I love the Muppets just... Nothing is off limits to suddenly be given sentience in the Muppets. <laughs> like you can, like we've like we're getting more and more of the sort of talking food, and now we're getting to a performing clam. And it was a it was a very nice clam puppet. I feel like they might have picked out a random Muppet from the workshop, and then put a load of things that the Muppet could be doing on a board, and thrown a dart as to what the talent of the clam was going to be. Because how would you come up with a yodeling clam? That's like such an... It's very, very vaudeville. It's very musical, right? Yeah. So people yodel, it's quite a standard thing. And, and the idea of, a, of, a, of you know, how you use your throat, you put that on a clam and immediately there's some sort of disconnect. There's some sort of physiological disconnect. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, so, it's so incongruous, isn't it? Like, yeah. 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 But also does lead to the, you know, you know, what's he good for? He's just good for chowder, chowder. punchline. Yeah, Brilliant. Classic. You're just like, thank you. Very good. Yep. I and and also a bit of physical comedy with the clam, sorry, Eric, um, clamping Gonzo's nose as well. Gonzo's nose sees a lot of action in this episode. Yeah, Madeline gives it a little squeeze as she goes. But, it it yeah. gets all coiled up at the start with the smoke in the O and then Piggy punches it as well. Like... Gonzo's nose is is getting a pummeling this episode. <laughs> is um uh, is do any does anybody have Susie Dent's number? I wonder if clam and clamp are related oh, etymologically. We could ask her. <laughs> <laughs> ask her on Twitter. Although she's yeah. she's thinking, um, thinking she's a sometime them. contributor to Film Stories magazine. As um, is she? myself, so I've, I might leverage that to try and get an answer. <laughs> do do it. Which <laughs> is not busy thinking up her uh, p- political word of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, her, her, to her stick it to the uh, the Tory government. Slam on the cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> zinged him again. <laughs> I mean, Gonzo throughout this entire episode is we are so far from the uh, the resident artiste of season one, and we're going f- like fully into the the lovable whatever that I think is what we all sort of uh, are much more familiar with. He's just so. Bless him, he's so sweet and just so earnest. I think he learns an interesting lesson here, though, because he could be teeter-tottering on the edge of being a little bit of an incel, I think. <gasps> I, oh see, I kind, of, I kind of thought that too. I think Kermit has yeah. to take him to one side and have a little word later, and I think it's quite important that, you know, Kermit does that. And I think, I think had Kermit not been there, things might have gone a little bit wrong in Gonzo's brain. I think I sort of didn't let it stray into incel territory in my mind, only because the whimsy of him thinking about the joy of PTA meetings and having a station (laughs) wagon, I don't think is like the goals of uh, (laughs) incel. Like the fact that he was really excited about going to PTA meetings. But it is, I kind of felt like, I was like, oh, they should show this to people who 
immediately think that someone is obsessed with them yes, just because yes. they've said one nice thing to them. Yes, like it, precisely. Yeah. And her age, her agency is very important, and and you know, and and she has to remind him, and Kermit has to remind him, and he has to be told, but he gets it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And he gets it very quickly, to be fair. And then he's very happy to just be friends. So, yeah, it's... But, yeah, I, I was... I'm with you, Brendan. I he's was not like, a bad guy. He's not a bad no, guy. No. he's Gonzo. He's amazing. <laughs> he's, not, he's not even a guy. He's a whatever. We don't even know. <laughs> he's not a bad whatever. <laughs> and he hasn't found his thing yet. And his thing is chickens. So it's all good. That's, we're getting some early groundwork of his uh, love for chickens. Yeah, he hasn't found his... Um, He's not found Camilla. Yeah, he's still, he's still, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Finding his preference. He's experimenting. What did you all make of the fact that following Happy Feet, we then get your feet, which... (laughs) Well, yeah, speaking of trying to find your, uh, find what you're interested in, I think... Find your niche. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a little foot fetish going on for the the Mm. front half of this episode. (laughs) Big time. Big time. I thought you were going to say big toe. (laughs) (laughs) And big toe. predates this episode but i know it's written by ronnie graham who very much moves in madeline's circles mm. he's a sometime collaborator of mal brooks and stephen sondheim in fact um you can find all three of them t- tangled up together in certain projects and he wrote a lot of uh, american sitcom stuff as well as some comedy songs so he he sort of it makes sense. It would make sense for him to be a writer on the Muppet Show, but he wasn't a writer on the episode per se. He just wrote this song, but I don't know if he, if it came with her, if it was something she was doing in live reviews, or whether it's considered a number of hers at the time. I, I guess, you know. But but um, it, you know, it, what's interesting about this episode formally, what's interesting about the structure of this episode is there's absolutely no intersection of what I would call the A plot, which is the Gonzo romance, and and the on stage. Stuff. Yes. I don't think there even is a B plot in this episode, to be honest. I think it's just the Gonzo r- 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 romantic lesson. Yes. Um, and the stage stuff, there's no intersection at all in any way. So whether these whether these were modules that were slotted in there for running time, mm. right? Oh, we've got the ones that sort of fit and it just sort of happened. Oh, two feet ones, whatever. Or whether it was a sort of primacy memory effect. Okay, happy feet. What else have we got? Oh, we could have... Um, uh, you, you know, uh, I love your feet or whatever. Who knows? But um, there's no through line, so it could just be any sort of 
form of psychological weirdness. <laughs> maybe it was like looking through what the, maybe what songs were particularly cheap in the sort of A to Z of uh, you know getting close or like low on the right, yeah, low on usage, yeah, and they're like, F. oh, we've well, we got the, we're looking at F, and they've just looked got to the, the two songs <laughs> under feet, and they're like, yeah, bang, like fuck it, we'll take them. They're both free. Like, that's lunch. Yeah. Like let's go. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very odd. And the other thing that I was quite surprised about that this episode didn't have a Disney disclaimer on the front of it because I'm not saying it is totally, like, overtly racist in any way, but it's definitely playing with stereotypes in this and then also, obviously, yeah. when we get to the Swedish chef. <laughs> oh, God, we will get there. <laughs> this, 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 this kit has got a kind of like a Popeye orient- orientalism in it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like the old Alibaba cartoons of the 30s. I think like I Dream of Genie. They're like she was in the yes, Genie's like, yes. uh, lamp. Disney have kept peddling that for years since, haven't they? Really? Yeah. I mean, that's what Aladdin's built on, right? So. Right. So maybe they're a little more blind to it than the. Uh, well, they yeah, or may- maybe they're just worried that if they put a disclaimer on this, they'd have to put a disclaimer on like the very recent Aladdin, and that's not something that they want to <laughs> yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if I couldn't, because I was trying to work. The theming is odd for this song, and I was just thinking, is it just because they associated? Like it would be easy to have some the Muppets bare feet out because they were. Like, but then I, but the rotations are... don't have shoes normally, do they? Anyway, they never no. do. They have their feet out normally, and they have their feet out normally. Normally, don't have talons or, yeah. or whatever we want to call them, but they normally have better feet. So, so uh, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, and and it seems as likely as anything to be like, what do we want to dress Madeline yeah. as? Build out from that, yeah, mm. fair, <laughs> yeah, or or uh, um. Where did the dart land? Yeah, yeah. Really, you know? <laughs> which bingo ball? Which bingo ball came up? Uh, we're doing Arabia. Great, let's go. <laughs> like... Emma, what did you think of this number? Yeah, I mean, it was seeing the mutations again was crazy. Um, I thought Madeline kind of did very well, like you say. If you were saying about that clip earlier of her and her sort of pronunciation and everything, because I was like, I definitely wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> Emma, you barely get through an episode. I barely get through an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's being lobbed around by those mutations and flipped on her side. And and she even found time to ad-lib. I know, it's amazing. Like, not only is she getting the number out, but she's also like, filthy. Or like, you kicked me that time. It's just, she's such a consummate professional. Mm. Her performance was really quite something in this like it, it seemed effortless yeah and yet she was really going through it and I then be and then also exhausted. still playing up the comedy yeah yes, i would be knackered by, i'd be knackered by from the first point where they lift her out of the sort of the sunken lounge up the conversation pit conversation conversation pit, yeah. pit. <laughs> uh, like the moment i got lifted up I'd be like right that's it take five thank you <laughs> move your feet i need to sit down again I do think they were playing, even though it was a comedy song, like, I do think they were maybe playing a little bit with foot fetishes in general. Though, oh, what? You mean was... the moment where the six feet were pushed towards her face and she was grabbing onto them and hugging them? Well, yeah, but, like, just generally, like, there was so much that seemed to be about, like, when they, like, waved them or, yeah. Like... I mean, the lyrics of the song, uh, 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 you know, obviously suggest that you're going to do something, something. L- like yeah. that. 
Um, it's kind of gross. We we sat down and we watched the episode again last night to sort of refresh my memory during dinner. And it was a mistake to have this song <laughs> on during dinner, really. Some of these lyrics are quite... Uh, quite Ronnie, please, yeah. you're putting me off of my um, uh, Libyan beans. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, we we are not here to kink shame on Muppet Sational. If you're into feet, let us know for a fee. Jade will send you a <laughs> <of her> <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> we'll put it. We'll put it as an option on the Patreon. Coming, you, know. you probably don't want to see mine, but as someone told me last summer, uh, there's potentially a very, very a specific niche for my feet. <laughs> oh my god, Jane. Now I now I kinda wanna see them out of fascination. Like what, what Oh can... well it's because of like I've had some operations on toenails, so I've only got eight oh. and a half toenails. Oh Jane. Like Fellini's eight. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought of that. Yes, I should say that. <laughs> That's what we can put on the Patreon. My feet are Fellini and Fellini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so that's definitely too much information to be sharing. But uh, I know, yes. I, guess, I definitely didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't tend to like go into conversations feet first or anything. Um, <laughs> not not like the mutations. Well, you know? I've really put my foot in it. So. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> well, moving on from Jade's eight and a half toes. I can't believe you've done this when we're in front of guests. Like we're gonna come. We you got... were talking about making my feet available for purchase. Look, purchase. Well, I didn't know they were damaged goods, Jade. I didn't know. <laughs> that was for my feet. It's fine. I have very high arches from when I used to be a dancer. Let's just say if Tarantino's still following my career, you'll have found yourself a new fan. Yes, yes that's, that's true. That's want. true. That's how I'm gonna finally break it into the movies. That's it. <laughs> I'm going feet first. Uh, from feet to uh, hooves, we go from Madeline's number to backstage with Piggy. Hold on, wait. You've oh. missed Animal. There's actually oh. more feet. There's more feet. Yeah. Animal inexplicably has spread his legs far enough that he's got his feet poking out on either side of the drum kit in this number. How does... How... I mean... It's very flexible. How has he done that? How... Is he, like, elastigirl? Well, he's articulated at the hip. <laughs> yeah, must be. <laughs> I, think, must be. I think that's he how He does yoga in the back of the uh, the electric mayhem van. He's, he's got, got, got very open hips. <laughs> Wait, look. He, he, I mean, he was just learning yoga in 2011, wasn't he? Oh, of he course, was, with Jack uh, Black. Yeah. In control. In control. Which I say all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was originally going to be Sean Penn in this group. Oh, I'm really, really glad it wasn't. <laughs> I'm really pleased it wasn't. Because he genuinely needs anger. Yes. Yes. Just ask Madonna. Uh, <laughs> um, I found this bizarre. And I wonder if maybe, like you said, Brendan, this was just something that they had that was short and sweet that filled... I mean, what? It's about twenty seconds, yeah. not even. It's and it's foggy day um, by the Gershwins, which I like. Unless you really know that song, you are not going to be able to tell. Yeah, I, didn't I don't think, that. are you? No. Well, this is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? In that, um, uh, and that's two of us who've said phenomenon now, and nobody's actually followed up. Right. I almost did it when you said it earlier, Liz, but I thought better of it. You should have. But um. Uh, 
that song obviously is quite distant now, but it was considerably less distant mm. at the time that the show was made. And in a sense, there's been such an acceleration in the condensation of change, uh, condensation sort of a con, con, uh, compression mm. of change in pop culture that we've gone through, I think, more sort of waves. Mm. So it would have felt a lot less distant at the time, maybe, than some people think. Fair enough, yeah. I, I I, think we sometimes forget that a lot of the songs that are in the show that we now deem as classics were probably actually fairly recent. I mean, there's a lot of... Just, wow. just sort of like, yeah, like you said, prevalent. Yeah. The Great American the Song. The Great American Song. Yeah. Mm. Just yeah. people just do their version of that number. And I'd like to think there are still people listening to, to, to some Gershwin today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's a... a you know, Ella does a fantastic yeah. version of, of this. And, you know, uh, it's not gone. Do you know what I mean? It's just, um, but I think it would just be more present in the time. Mm. But, but without spoiling things and getting ahead, there is a song coming up that we think of a classic that was mere months old at yes. the time that it featured in this. Yeah. But we will come to that in due course. All I meant was also that, like, I think some of the songs, like, exactly like the one that you're talking about, there's so many of them that at the time would have been recent that now are deemed classics. But actually, it's interesting maybe when you have one that was recent that hasn't lasted the test of time, um, <laughs> that then we're just like, what is this? Yeah. What, what is this song? Like when, like in the, uh, uh, is it the Vincent Price episode where they actually sing a Beatles number, which we had, I never heard that song before or whatever version of it. They don't you go, oh yeah, not every single Beatles song is, uh, you know, Let It Be or A Hard Day's Night. You know Sometimes they're just some album tracks. Like, and you don't know, unless you're, you know, fixing a hole. What was it? Was it I'm Looking Through You or something like that? Yeah, yeah I think it was yeah. that one. Because yeah. of the ghost. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kill the priest, yeah. <laughs> when Lewis found out that was a Beatles song, he was in full, full shock. It's like, <laughs> that must have been cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was the other thing. We didn't understand how they'd afforded it. I mean, it really it really wouldn't have been cheap. I think uh, Jim knew people. Mm. <laughs> That's never to be underestimated. Yeah. And as far as we know, he might have had friends in uh, in Apple Records. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, probably very true. Yeah. Very true. Certainly didn't live very far away from, from where that was happening. No. Shall we, uh, Lewis, do you want to go back into Miss Piggy in her dressing room? Yes, I always want, I'm always <laughs> wanting to head into Miss Piggy's uh, dressing room. <laughs> so we get the small revelation that apparently Gonzo has previously had a crush on Miss Piggy. Have we had this information before? I feel like there was one episode where he kept trying to give her flowers or something, wasn't there? Oh, if that has, that has completely escaped my memory. Emma, do you remember? I'm not sure if that... I'm not sure, to be completely honest. Like, thinking about it, I don't know if that's ever been, like, overtly revealed that he had a crush on Miss Piggy. But Emma and I also both have terrible memories, so... This is true. (laughs) Yeah, so... Jade, I'm willing to just by default go... Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they embrace in the Mum and Shans episode. Mm. But I'm not sure what his attitude to it is. A lot of the Mum and Shans episode, I've had to put in a special box and just close <laughs> that box and maybe not look at it. because There was also a lot of feet in that episode too. <laughs> feet, oh, you clay. Oh, much largely foot, weren't they? Yeah. 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 Madness. Um, let me, hold on. I'm going to look up the Mum and Shans episode very quickly just to see. 
if it says anything. But in the meantime, while you do that, I, I think it was particularly nice getting to see uh, Piggy backstage in a scene that isn't necessarily involving Kermit, because it means we do get to see her slightly more kind of like, ugh, like exasperated, put upon what side to her, which I always find uh, the m- my personal favourite and most delightful part of Miss Piggy is when she's <laughs> like, oh, God, whatever. Um, I think, and, and Frank Oz's voice is just always so good in those moments. Yeah, no, I agree. And I have just looked up the episode and Brendan, 10 points to you because Muppet Wiki, thanks Muppet Wiki, thanks, Muppet the Wiki. little synopsis is Miss Piggy is repulsed when Gonzo tells her that he loves her. Kermit tries to help by asking Piggy if she would like to go to dinner and when she accepts, he fixes her up with Gonzo. That's Everyone right, that's right. karate oh chopped. Gosh, oh, I remember now. He basically her. pins her against the door in her, in her dressing yeah, room. Yeah, he does. Oh. Yeah, he you know, does. You know, okay, now between that and the Madeline Kahn thing, maybe Gonzo does need to be taken on a sort of, uh, a course on rolling consent <laughs> and, you know, just... <laughs> But maybe that's what this episode is, in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving him on from that, you know, coming on too strong yeah. and not not taking into account his female. <laughs> what am I saying? Words are hard. co-workers. Well, yeah. not not think not thinking of them as individuals. Yes, but rather you know artifacts of of infatuation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So trust the writer to put it so eloquently. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this scene. For all the reasons you just said, Lewis, but also because it was so nice to see Piggy in like her rollers and in her dressing gown and with the little puff. And I they've really decorated the dressing room so that it's Piggy's dressing room now as well, which yeah. I think this is the first time we've seen that properly. And, you know, it's so pink and feminine and girly and she's got a picture of Kermit on the wall. Mm. And I, again, it just like they're building the world and it feels so lived in and it feels so right. And... Piggy looks so comfortable. She's a star. She, she has her own dressing room. and She is a star. <laughs> she's just, she's getting ready. Oh yeah, and she's getting ready for Pigs in Space. And her Pigs in Space outfit is on the wall, is on the door. It's, it's hanging the up there, the yeah. Yeah. I, I think so there's this really lovely little vernacular they've got of people cups as well. Like Kermit's got this mm. little plain cup and it just says Kermit on it. And Piggy's got one in her dressing room and it's just covered in flowers. And it's yeah. really, it's what Piggy would choose. And, and and I think, you know, right down to their choices of, of drinking vessels, their character shines through. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Gonzo's relationship with Cups, of course, is that he will jump 500 feet into one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, from uh, Cups to <laughs> other cook- to cookware. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to think of like, the right term. Um could this possibly be the most absurd Swedish chef skit that we have had so far? hundred <sighs> Strong competition, yes. surely. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, we've had like sentient spaghetti and I mean, shooting, uh, you know, ingredients into, but it was when the lobsters rode in on horses. And had little guns that I really was just like, oh my god, working guns. By working the way. guns, yes. Working. That, I feel like I could like take your eye out, like like <laughs> one, one false turn of a claw, and you're walking around with a patch. There's, there's the whole thing they say that Jim always wanted one impossible thing that you didn't quite realise was impossible. You just sort of took it for granted in every episode, right? Yeah. Whether that was a muppet blowing out a candle, or, or uh, you know, um, all these little guns actually 
firing. Yeah. Um, they're remarkable, really. Again, I don't think it's that easy to sort of understand this with the distance we've got on it, because the way our cinema is absolutely bogged down with superhero films at the moment, you just can't move for them. I think it was even worse in the in the sort of 40s, 50s, 60s with westerns, really, and they really yeah. did clog things up. Certainly when there were double features, one of the two features would always be a western, right? And and the sort of the idea of the Mexican bandits being this sort of, you know, they were the, the faceless, robot alien army called at the end of all these you know we always these superhero films always end with faceless identical cg swarms uh, attacking some sort of tower in new york city or something right you know (laughs) to the extent that that has become this uh, completely ridiculous cliche Mm. these sort of like bandido gangs were a cliche in a certain sort of subset of of western cinema so so these were sort of very much a sort of a shorthand really it's sort of the equivalent of um, stormtroopers coming in or something in a funny sort yeah. of way. I did wonder as I was watching it, like, oh, is this, you know, knowing it was a reference to that kind of ubiquity and wondering whether the appropriacy of it. But at the same time, I mean, seeing a lobster in a little tiny cowboy hat, like a little or a sombrero, <laughs> like that's always a little bit funny. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's nothing funnier than a tiny hat. Like, <laughs> Put a tiny hat on anything. <laughs> I know. When I was watching this episode, I wasn't expecting to see like gun-toting lobsters with tiny yeah, hats, no. cowboy and hats. And it's also just hearing them clip-clop in on their yeah. horses and you see just the top of them in the background through the window. That's and it's brilliant. Just, the concept of just these lobsters riding in on, what, full-size horses? Like <laughs> Seahorses. Just just want to clarify there, Emma. So you were expecting Madeline Kahn in gonzo glasses. You were expecting gonzo blowing orange smoke out of his trumpet you were expecting Kermit tap dance much singing his you were expecting yodeling clam you were expect you were expecting Madeleine Kahn do a foot fetish song with the mutations you were expecting animal man spreading around his drum kit you were expect- you weren't expecting the the bandidos uh uh, lobsters and, and shrimp and the like okay now we know where the line is <laughs> it's like the Monty Python Spanish Inquisition yeah <laughs> Emma always draws the line at seafood <laughs> yes <laughs> I found out something about this episode again thanks to Muppet Wiki thank you Muppet, Muppet Wiki, Wiki. <laughs> we should get a button that just says that <laughs> thank you yeah Muppet. we should not thank just you, press Muppet it thank you Muppet Wiki um so Joseph A. Bailey, who, as we all know, because we all listen to when I read the production credits, uh, is a writer on this season. <laughs> um, this sketch was actually part of his audition script that he submitted. And originally, Jerry Jewell had put it into an earlier episode, but Jim vetoed it. And for reasons unknown, Jim, I guess, maybe just thought it took things a bit too far or what? Mm. Who knows? didn't like it, didn't want it in. And it was only when Cheryl Henson came to the studio and saw them practicing it, saw that... Saw yeah, I think she went to a it. table read, actually, is what it was. It came okay, up yeah, table so she went to, went to a table read and, um, and saw it and found it hilarious that Jim was like, okay, we can put it in. So I think, like, it is interesting to me, Emma, that <laughs> we've just been joking about you, you know, drawing a bit of a line with it, that actually... I think that's kind of what Jim did too. He obviously saw it as an escalation. If I remember correctly, 
it wasn't lobsters until that table read. I think it had been other things before. And at some point it was going to be a gang of sheep who were like uh, Brando on the waterfront type sheep. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> and if you imagine, because imagine those delightful, like one of my, I, I don't know, do you watch many Muppet productions from around the world? There's this glorious German spin-off of uh, Seisenstrasse called Einemura Verzwei, which means a carrot for two. And it's about Fed, who's Fed, he's a horse, and Fed means horse, and Voller, who's a sheep, and Voller means wool. So horse and wool live in a big carrot, and they're friends, and they're Muppet, and I sense. love them. I yeah. love them. And Voller is my second favourite of all Muppets. And he looks like a, um, you know, he's obviously a Muppet mm. uh, sheep. He's part of that family. He he would he would recognise his family that we see on the on the Muppet show. They're, they're very sort of, uh, they share a lot of the same DNA. And um, uh, they're the most beautifully cute little things you can imagine gorgeous i just want to cuddle them all and then them coming in and being tough guys and being sort of you know like uh i could have been a contender and all that i don't know if if jim was just sort of like not getting it or whatever but i Mm. think that was the draft that he kept rejecting i wonder if it's something to do with the fact that if if swedish chef had something like uh another sheep or a lamb that he was preparing to cook i mean unlike a lobster where you're holding it and you're going to drop it in a pot like i think he would probably have to have some sort of like he would yeah. he, he would be having to like kill the do you know what i mean like bit, it might just feel a bit kill. visceral yeah yeah exactly whereas like plopping a lobster in a pot is you know it's still i mean you know animal cruelty i guess but. it's clearly different isn't it yeah it's clearly a different impulse that mm. work here but um uh you know um i think have you seen julie and julia the nora efron movie about yes. julia child mm-hmm. i i think of the moment where um uh, uh julie powell kills a lobster and uh, gets serenaded with psycho killer the oh. song for, for doing so um uh but yeah i think there is definitely a line between putting a lobster in a pot and hanging the sheep up by its feet and slitting its throat yes yeah, swedish chef like brandishing just like a really big knife <laughs> <laughs> He's got an eye. Swedish chef does an actual like butchery <laughs> yeah, session. Yeah, maybe that. But yeah, maybe that's it. But uh, you know, there's just the possibility that it just wasn't coming off, and Cheryl yeah. just saw something in it. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. I'm taking a greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. Now, am I right in thinking that this next uh, piece with Electric Mayhem was the UK spot? Yes, it was. Yeah. Thank you, Eva. <laughs> <laughs> so this is New York State of Mind, which I've only ever heard the Barbara Streisand version of this song. So cool to hear it in a more vibey... Uh, was that the Licorice context. Pizza approved pronunciation of Streisand? Or... Oh, God, Have you guys Streisand. seen Licorice? Have you, have you seen Licorice? Yes. 
Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I have a hand. So you don't know the Billy Joel version of this at all? Oh, so I suppose I've... Yes, I have also heard Billy Joel's version, so I take which it back. I lied. W- would be the original, which is yes. what we were saying earlier, Jade, was the very recent song. Yeah, Billy Joel released it in 1976, so this is literally hot off the press. Oh, wow. It's like if they yeah. could have uh, Muppets Now doing a cover of Dua Lipa. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, but only a very recent Dua Lipa, right? Not yeah. one of her main hits, one of the ones that was tagged on on the special edition of the album yes. afterwards. <laughs> nice. In fact, the one with the lobster. Lobsters! Yes, the one with the bizarre video <laughs> on the Titanic. Going on? Yeah, um, it's so weird. <laughs> uh, but um, what's amazing about this song is, it's, of course, it's an older song than New York, New York. God, that is so weird to think. God, that is that is weird. That it? really doesn't feel right from today's point of view. But just no. to reflect on this, what we were saying, the recurring theme of the evening, New York, New York was released after this. Liza Minnelli sang that in the movie uh, New, York, New, New, York, New York, which of course yeah. came out in 77. Wow. That is so strange. I think, I, I think maybe because New York, New York becoming ubiquitous with Frank Sinatra naturally yes. just evokes an earlier era we just, than Billy Joel. We go back to the Rat Pack Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. maybe yeah. that's it. But that is insane to think that those songs are ostensibly contemporaries of one another. And yet, and yet so close to being contemporary, but the uh, yeah. and even still the other way round to what you would intuitively think. Yes. That's, oh, that's a really that's a really good kind of like pub quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> My three years experience setting pub quizzes coming. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> but no, it was nice. I loved. I I just really enjoyed. Um, my favorite image was Zoot. Uh, just chilling before he started playing the saxophone. Mm. Just kind of like, like just vibing just appreciating yeah yeah <laughs> i i really liked at the end dr teeth came and put his arm around floyd and gave him a little pat like good job and like i know that took it out of you and i thought that was really cute as well because we haven't really seen the electric mayhem that much this season no that's what i was thinking when i was watching it as well i was like oh it's quite nice to see them and kind of see zoot and, and everyone it is it's just fun to see them anyway isn't it um, yeah. normally mm. the muppets don't lip sync Right, normally they perform live, mm. but they did lip sync to the song later. It was on a uh, Carson when Kermit filled in for Johnny Carson. The entire episode is on YouTube. Oh, uh, the Electric Mayhem came in and, and uh, played to the backing track. They lip synced. Wow. Maybe that was tonight's show policy, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe actually. Yeah, probably. Although probably. I know exactly what I'm looking up on YouTube as soon as we finish recording this episode. <laughs> yeah, full episode X. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, it just makes me, I mean, like, why has he never had that gig? I don't know if you've seen my interview with him, but I was like, you know, he's never even been nominated for an Oscar. I'm a little bit sort of like, I feel like a lot of the opportunities that should have been afforded to come at the Frog have just been denied to him. And he just said, he told me, I think for people who've not seen the interview, he said it's because people are a bit confused because he plays a character called Kermit the Frog and he is also Kermit mm. the Frog. And that sort yeah. of, people sort of assume he's not an actor and things like that. And they get, you know, they get a bit a bit befuddled by the whole thing. But I think, you know, there was there was some sort of Twitter campaign to get them hosting the Oscars. If yes, years ago. which I absolutely agree with. They are perfect to do that. Like, that would get people tuning in if they're so desperate to have viewers. Let the Muppets present. And it's, you know, they're on ABC. It's all in the same... Now, Family. use your imagination, but um, here's a good example. When I went to that press conference back in, in early 2012 for the 2011 film, uh, Piggy turned up about halfway through the press conference. 
and um, uh, she made her excuses. You know, it, it, there's many plausible reasons why 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 a lady like Piggy would be late to something like that. It's beneath her, right? She. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I went to the premiere of Ocean's Eight and Rihanna turned up after the film which was wow. spectacular yes. well done Rihanna it was so funny she had this flurry of people around her as I'm sure Rihanna does everywhere she goes but it was as everyone was coming out of the film she turned up at that point it was the most spectacular timing Miss Piggy would have been so proud anyway back back, back to the real star but there are some practical reasons maybe why Piggy doesn't spend an hour in front of an audience and it might be something to do with the fact that she weighs a little bit more than Kermit. And the human arm is limited in yes. its endurance. You know, they would have to rotate quite heavily if they were presenting the Oscars. I think that's... Uh, but I think, you know, what true. they're saying they're doing this year anyway is to have the three of them um, do different segments of yeah. the broadcast. That's so true. you could still have potentially had that where Kermit opens, Piggy does the middle section and I don't know. Gonzo. And to be honest, there's an awful lot of Muppets, aren't yeah, there? Right? Yeah, you wouldn't exactly. run, there's more Muppets than there are prize categories. So You get Beaker to come on and present the film, like film not in the English language, and he just meets <laughs> the entire introduction, and they have is to that, subtitle Is that alright? Is that okay, Lewis? Is that joke appropriate? I don't know. <laughs> I think, because he's meeping, like, they don't, then whenever they subtitle him... It is a language, isn't it? He is meep. speaking a language of, of, of thoughts. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh God! I hope I'm not sounding xenophobic by just wanting to give me <laughs> give him his chance. Um, yeah, I mean, like if they had a stunt category, which of course you know is a very controversial uh, uh, mission, um, mm. you know, Gonzo would be showing for that. Yeah, but, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and they could have Sam do the technical categories and be like... No, Sam Sal- should do the short films because they're more artistic. Nice. And, uh, he so- should definitely do He should definitely do short documentary for sure. Yeah, that's, short yes. that's where he's at, yeah. isn't it? That is where <laughs> Sam is at. Aww. Yeah, and, and Uncle Deadly could do costumes. Yes. <laughs> See, this writes itself. It what is wrong with them? <laughs> One day, one One day day. we'll get it. Well, it's time for us to go to Pigs in Space. (laughs) To what, sorry? The spaceship has a hot plate. Pigs in Space. (laughs) 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 I loved the shout out of the hot plate. That felt so 1970s. I know, so 70s. I thought it was great that in this episode we had had a sketch that was, when you drill into it, uh, got quite a clear feminist message sitting yeah, along yeah. sitting alongside the gonzo plot as well actually and it sort of each consolidates our reading of them as being quite um uh politically sensible should we say do you know what i mean like you got backup for yes. each provides backup for the other that this is not some uh reactionary right-wing chauvinist claptrap yes absolutely i mean well, living up to her name as the provocative first yes. mate. <laughs> I loved that. That was a great introduction. That's how I'd like to be introduced in any sense. <laughs> I thought it was a very good setup as well. That I feel like in a in a sort of more standard sitcom, that interplay of, and let's be honest, in a, again from the seventies, it would be a man and a woman. But you know, there's a lever. The you know the woman doesn't think the man's pulled it if he pulls that then their problems will be over they will no longer be drifting aimlessly in space 
but they still subverted that that bit more that no it's just the lever for the door and <laughs> he's gonna get stuck in the door and yeah. that's it yeah alongside the more sort of political definitely feminist bent of the jokes yeah you then still had plenty of muppet silliness alongside it it was it was really good fun yeah i mean we're not quite as close to the uh, the level of um you know uh candace bergen uh no. <laughs> knocking <laughs> kicking down the door with a gun wearing her uh you know <laughs> chugging off her like woods woman's outfit and wearing her t-shirt and jeans but it's uh it's fa- it's it's pretty close i also really enjoyed the end voiceover saying tune in two weeks from today and you'll miss next week's episode yeah that yeah, two, was great two miss, yeah yeah and miss yeah yeah good stuff it's just such a solid sketch like it really feels i mean i know we've had veterinarians hospital and obviously we had at the dance um but this one just really feels yeah guys what's your problem with at the dance oh, oh no no oh, it's so terrible <laughs> Oh. At the dance, I think, is the absolute sort of zenith of the this belongs to a different era element yes. of the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh right? yes. And uh, and it does, and I think we should respect that. <laughs> and I think I think that um if we think that it's a four quadrant show, people who have been two generations dead by now would have been played directly to by At The Dance. I think I think At The Dance, there's a sort of a level on which it's sort of like beyond a joke, so it goes around and becomes funny again. A bit like the Lee and Herring pie, pie, pie thing, where they just beat something to death until it's not funny to the point that it's funny. I, think, I think that's at the dance slightly is just sort of, generous for At The Dance. I think At The Dance is like, like we know these puns are going to hurt you, physically hurt you. Yeah. And if we carry on long enough, you kind of give in a bit i think really i think i think the thing that we always had the most problem was is because it always just felt a bit kind of sloppy and not necessarily with the writing but even just the way it was staged always just felt so kind of i don't know a bit slapdash compared to i mean when you look at pigs in space by comparison where you have this beautiful set and the three characters and it just always felt a bit more kind of it. Sh- it sort of happens in a void, doesn't it? Yeah, in yeah. a funny sort of way. But but if you go back and you look at things like um, Sid Caesar show or things like that, these sketch mm. shows, or um, uh, you know, there was a sort of an American version because the Muppet Show is very rooted in British vaudeville stage tradition. But this is an element that seems to go back to American variety TV mm-hmm. mm. and things. Um, I'm trying to remember what's the name of the show. Goldie Horn. Oh, laughing, from... laughing, and you think of laughing with the with the doors opening yeah. and the people popping their head up. Me. Yeah, that's it. This feels very much in that tradition to me, actually, yeah. in a way. And the sense that it's in a void ish. Mm. Or a sort of an ersatz set that isn't really representative, but it's more stylized. Sort of feels more laughing or something like that to me. Yeah, and and, and maybe maybe it plays better in the states. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I think it's just very very of its time because you know when we when we started and my mum listens to the podcast. Hi mum, and you know hi one Tracy. Of the, <laughs> one of the first things she said to me was like, "Oh my god." you know she's been re-watching it since it's been on disney plus two and she was like i remember finding these jokes so funny when i watched them in the 70s and like she still finds them funny now <laughs> and she still finds them funny now <laughs> but, but she recognizes that they're obviously like not the humor of 
now and obviously my mum's humor has moved on too but yeah but, <laughs> but I, they're not fu- they're not funny but it is funny yeah uh, yeah thing? i think i think that's what she i think that's what she finds funny exactly yeah. the 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 it's the christmas setup cracker like, and the, yeah yeah, yeah. kids yeah. telling jokes sort mm. of level of jokes mm. really which is always interminable <laughs> nothing worse than a child trying to tell you a joke and just <laughs> Maybe that's where my my feelings of warmth come from, actually, really. Yeah. Maybe it's because I was... These would have been my level of jokes when I first yeah. saw it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying. And I do think there is something about some of them when they've been such groaners that it, it does it does almost take on that element of like, oh, my life, this is it so It sort of bad. goes around the clock a little yeah. bit. I think, uh, yeah, but I've heard you guys chew this thing out in many episodes now um but i will say i think the production ultimately was on your side because they start to become less and less yeah i mean i think there are a couple more after this point jade had previously promised us that they would be promised you did promise that they would be gone at the end of season one so when emma and i logged back on for whichever first episode of season two had it livid livid like we we trusted you and you lied god has promised let's move on before we dig dig all this up again emma why don't you tell us about fozzy and his ukulele oh yeah so uh Fozzy gets introduced by Kermit to do his musical number with his ukulele and um, he sings a song called The Pig Got Up and Slowly Walked Away and I mean it was a lot of random nonsense going on in that song. (laughs) Now as an out of work actor I have to say we all have the moment where we pick up a ukulele thinking this will be something that I can just quickly learn and add to my CV. I was going to say, that... didn't you get one for Christmas one year? Yes, Emma, I got one for Christmas 2015 and I have picked it up. From precise... you, was it Emma? Is that what you remember? <laughs> <laughs> and I have picked it up precisely three times and it still lives at the back of my wardrobe because <laughs> I think maybe at some point, I, but I... Yeah, I just whenever you see an actor with a ukulele, just run in the other direction. <laughs> Someone's got to fill that that void now. Zoe Deschanel faded into the background. Yeah, she's off with one of the property brothers now. She doesn't need to be uh, being quirky anymore. She's she's fine. She's got it made. This this song, it's interesting. And again, you know, we're going around in circles. But this song was more recent to this production than New York State of Mind is to us. Yeah. So it comes very much from a different era, comes from a Mm. pre-war era, between the wars era, but it was closer to the production of this show than, than, in fact, this show is to us. So it's one of those... That broke my mind for it, like, as in just trying to work that out. I mean, (laughs) time's a flat circle. It's very confusing cultural things happened in the 20th century. I mean, I think we've all got these anchor points, which is basically where we start remembering things, right? So for me, the mid-70s is the beginning of history, right? (laughs) So anything from before that just seems sort of ancient. So when you... So, like, you know, of course the Billy Joel song, it's just part of my life. It's just always been around. It's not an old song. Oh, an old musical song, pro-temperance, sort of like anti-boozing song like this to be performed out there on the boards by some some guy in his Oxford bags or whatever, uh, whatever you call the, those trampy trousers I would wear in, uh, on, yeah. on, uh, in a musical. 
Um, just seems like ancient history. And yet it's not really, is it? No. Do you know what I mean? I mean? No, and I think there is so much of the show that is clearly very based in those either vaudeville or musical or American classics or books or whatever. Like, mm. and, and I think you're right as well that maybe that's something we need to start thinking about more. That idea of like, is there something in every show that is clearly appealing to different demographics and especially mm. something like this appealing to the grandparents who are watching the show, you know? I think that might be yeah. it, the whole four quadrant thing. I think that might be it. But here's something that's an interesting comparison because while this would be running on Sunday nights on ITV or whatever, uh, another night on... Oh God, I can't remember what night of the week it was, but another night on the BBC you might see... Uh, the good old days, their pastiche of uh, music hall shows. So they would recreate music hall shows and they would go to a, a live theatre and they would film in. It would basically be the Muppet show without the Muppets, <laughs> with a lot more racism. Yeah. Basically. And these shows just wouldn't, they would, you wouldn't get by with a little warning on Disney Plus with these, you know, they had full on minstrel shows in them and, and the it's like. Full on Song were, of the South, and just like, we don't look at it anymore, God. just put it, put it in the box. Yeah. Right, and, it, and this ran, not only did it run contemporaneously to the Muppet Show, it lasted beyond it, it ran for several years oh, after. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, uh, that says something, I think, about uh, uh, Jim's intention and, and mm. taste. Mm. Oh, definitely. Um, I just wanted to say on this that when he gets surrounded by the pigs at the end, the only one that I was truly worried about was Lydia. I would not want to face Lydia if she was mad. Like the others, like, <laughs> the tattooed could... lady pig. Yeah. yeah, Kate, but Lydia, like hell no, she's she's, she's got fierce. some stories. Yeah, she's <laughs> Lydia. That's oh, Lydia, one. do you mean Lydia? Yeah. Oh yes, Lydia, yeah. the tattooed lady. <laughs> yeah. Groucho's back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and now Madeline Kahn's back. <laughs> Perfect. So we don't see her for quite a run there, do we? No, I think apart from... No, that is literally from her... Yeah, there's. it's almost that standard thing if you have that uh, like seven to ten minutes in the middle where the guest just disappears in the Muppet show and then they, the back half is then heavily loaded with them. They never decide to like space them out evenly. It's just like right at the top and then right, you know... Keep you hanging on. Yeah, yes. they don't. They don't um, want yes. to run them out. I think you yeah. know they're they're, they're, yeah. they're part of the bait. Um, and I think if you're watching for the Muppet Show for the Muppets, you're going to watch anyway. If you are the diehard meddling Garn fan who what talking frog, uh, you need to be sort of strung out on this thing a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's may, maybe that's the thinking. I don't know. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense actually. And we get this uh, sketch of <laughs> Madeline Khan meeting. One of the creatures from where the wild things are is all I can wow. think of. Wow, isn't when that he first interesting? Came bounding out, dog lion. Now, Morris Sendak eventually did bring a lawsuit against Jim Henson, but not over dog lion, wow. over the over the script for Labyrinth. Yes. Oh. Now, what was the name of the Morris Sendak? Uh, in the night kitchen. I mean, if he'd lived any longer, he'd have been soon CBBC yeah. as well. I guess. <laughs> um, in the night kitchen, has um, loosely got a plot that has, like, in a sense, that a house and a tent are slightly similar. I suppose is it in the night kitchen? Is that the one? It's certainly one of the one of the send out books I've not read for about thirty or forty years. I think it's this one where a little girl wishes. Her 
baby brother away. Maybe it's not that one. And she goes, she has to go and look for, for, for the baby brother. And, Mm. you know, there are evocations of sort of like classical dreamlike fairy tale things, but that's really about as close as it, as it gets. There's no sort of labyrinth full of goblins or anything. No David Bowie Um, and leather, leather trousers. No, no. He missed a trick there, didn't he? Yeah, they did. Um, uh, But he, he, on discovering Labyrinth, actually bought it's in Brian J. Jones' book, actually. So when you when you get it back on, maybe you can can talk about it a little bit. <laughs> but um, uh, the fact that dog lion clearly looks like one of the world things, I think, just sort of passed him by, which yeah, is one, but... which is still only the second most interesting thing about dog lion, of course. Dog lion being the first ever Muppet to appear in a movie. Yes, in a Muppet movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the very beginning, he's walking through the back lot. Mm. God, I didn't even think of that. That's good, That's... good trivia there, Jade. I, I got another, I got another first for you. I'm going to set this one as a question. <laughs> Go on then. Um, so after this, Madeline Kahn went on to be on Sesame Street and be in the Muppet movie and so on. But uh, in which other tech TV episode did she appear earlier than this that also featured Muppets? Also featured Muppets. Oh, would it have been SNL? It was the year before oh, one of the Land of yes! sketches. Yes, yeah. Well done, Lewis. Thank you. Points, Lewis. Oh, I feel really smug now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this wasn't the beginning of her of her of her history with the Muppets, but for some reason, um, Land of Gorge sketches often would feature people who were in that episode of SNL, but that one didn't. She wasn't in it. Mm. So I wonder if Madeline Kahn just has a really short work day or something. And that might explain a lot of things about this episode. Maybe she turns up for a day, yeah. Yeah. does her bit, and then goes home. And, and the rest of it is like, well, what have we got that, that fits the gaps? Yeah, it's always quite interesting working out uh, sometimes when you watch an episode and can't get rid of the guests, they're everywhere. And then there's somewhere it's like, did they have them for 20 minutes? <laughs> like they came in and they did like yeah. the, the Krusty the Clown coming to record his talking doll. He like rolls up, says the four lines and then speeds out before they've uh, put the film in. I mean, the other thing I did wonder though was obviously the first number was very, very intense. And I wondered whether they'd, you know, whether the amount of rehearsal they'd needed to work out the, you know, picking her up, throwing her around, Mm. and then all of the different setups with them and all of the different ways they were going to show off the mutation feat. You know, that obviously took a little bit of time. So that was the only other thing I wondered was whether they just sort of put all of their eggs in that basket. Potentially. They obviously didn't have her for that long, did they? Bit of a very weird choice, that Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> very, very weird choice. <laughs> I've got to say, I think, thank God it's um, Madeleine Kahn doing this sketch because I think it is thanks to her slightly unconventional delivery and her slightly in the sketch but out of it energy. Um, intentionally, I mean, sort of having one eye on the sort of the sort of arc of it that makes it work because i think otherwise they're uh, like i was picturing sandy duncan doing this sketch do you know what i mean and it just becomes a bit insipid apart from the end whereas madeline just continues to make the quite dull setup of having to say oh i really like this thing or i really like that thing continue to be interesting up to the point where she even starts mentioning the bench and she's already slightly regretting mentioning it and then she's already getting off out of it and just her li- I just, I know I keep saying it, but her line delivery is just so good. It's the best version of this sketch, yeah. and it's by no means the the first, is it? It's at least the third, yes. if not if not the fourth. Um, I think they might have done it twice on the Ed Sullivan show before now. 
Um, and they did it on the Tonight Show as well. And it it bizarrely seems very suitable for Sesame Street, and yet I don't know yeah, if it's ever been done on Sesame you'd Street. You'd have thought it was a Sesame Street sketch, wouldn't you, mm. really? Like, with that eventual message of yeah. talking your troubles down so that you can handle them. And it is almost a bit too, here's a lesson for you children for The Muppet Show. Hmm. What's quite nice about it is that it's all about that, but it doesn't feel too much about that at mm-hmm. first. And I think she, I mean, obviously she carries it to a very large extent, but the, but the, the sort of chroma key effects make it work in a different way here than it, it did in the earlier versions mm. as well. So it's sort of, you can see why they sort of stopped doing it after this. It's like, well, we're not, you know, for all its faults, we, there would be things we would we would weaken instead of just improve yeah. if we if we did it again, I think, really. Um, but it does seem conspicuous Conspicuously, Sesame Street. It mm. really does. And I mean, apart from maybe like the slight anarchy of watching, uh, is it Dog Lion? Yeah, yeah. Just smash everything up. Although not like uh, knocking a few uh, trees over and the bench and flipping the bench and stuff. I would have liked maybe even more rampant uh, destruction. <laughs> Just because it's always quite fun watching. I mean, stuff he did get shoot abs- a bird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, life is lost. Okay. <laughs> during this. I think I... Not many Muppet sketches actually have a fatality in them. <laughs> Except for in this episode. Yeah, where everyone... But, um... I wanted that bench, like, smashed through. I didn't just want it, like, flipped. I wanted it... I don't know, I wanted more kind of uh, mad destruction. But um, I also just really wanted to touch Dog Lion. He just looked so... Oh, like, you know, when he's just like... Oh, yeah. It's fluffy. Fluffy. I thought that when they shrunk him, that the effect was actually really, really decent because a lot of the mm. effects we've seen up to this point have been yeah, quite questionable, which is totally reasonable because it's a seventies TV show. But yeah, I thought I thought the effect was really good, and her walking around in the outfit she was in with her umbrella was giving me quite sort of Mary Poppins esque yeah. vibes, and then. Yeah. When she eventually hit Dog Lion away with with her brolly, it reminded me of like the croquet scene from Alice in Wonderland as well. Yeah, so yeah. I really liked that it seemed to be having some sort of cultural touch points with mm. you know key British texts. A century of children's yeah, literature put exactly. for, exactly. for, for a blender. <laughs> Yeah. Um, talking of children's literature, I've remembered the Morris Sendak book was called Outside Over There. That's the one. Uh, so check that out. That's the one that's slightly vaguely labyrinthy, but he didn't really have to, to, to stand on. Well, we'll have to ask Brian for the uh, the inside scoop. The scoop. Yeah. 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 I think the reason the 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 chroma key works so well on Dogline. No, I'm not a VFX. I'm not Todd Bazzieri. I'm not a VFX wizard. But um, uh, it's because obviously often when we see a clean line, we get that fuzzy mm-hmm. edge on the chroma key. This has got a fuzzy edge, and it's a shadowy fuzzy edge. So I think the matte line just looks like it's part of Dogline. Yeah. To yes. be honest, yeah. actually, it just sort of gets lost in the uh, in the noise. Yeah, by virtue right. of that kind of fuzz, it does just kind of get. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point actually. Yeah. Emma, what did you make of this? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. A bit like you were saying, Lewis, it was kind of nice to see Madeline's delivery um, in this sketch. And I think if it had been in the hands of anyone else, it would have been a kind of a bit dry or a bit overly sweet. And I thought she pitched the tone right. And, it you know, Dogline, I, I liked seeing this Muppet. It was quite cute and fluffy. Um, and <laughs> it kind of almost reminded me of a bit of a, like, Wayne and Wanda set up with... 
you know, the destroying of the set, but obviously not quite the same. But I thought it was nice. It was nice to see her again, because like you were saying as well, Jade, we'd had quite an absence of her. Um, so it was nice to see her back again, playing playing the sketch perfectly, quite frankly. Yeah. That tone, that not too sweet mm, yeah. tone. It was it was really great, wasn't it? It was really, really good. And then we go from that to a very quick Muppets news flash. Oh, they blew up my precious news. Who's that next? Well, I, uh, there's one. There's one little moment with. Uh, hang on. Um, oh, it's Gonzo backstage talking about the PTA and the station. Wagon. All set up. Brilliant set up. Yeah. It's a magician's outfit. The PTA thing. <gasps> all set up. It's brilliant. Oh yes. yeah. Sorry, I missed that bit, didn't I? Set up, set up, set up. Jerry Jewell working, working, you know, hard there to 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 make the end of the show all pay off. Yeah, and those you almost know half the jokes that are coming, but like the you know the little boutonniere appearing, and then obviously the rabbit in the hat trying to oh, get out. Oh, the hat! Yeah, yeah that <laughs> yeah. was great. I loved just, that bit. And obviously, I mean, we won't like. I mean, the the handkerchief button right at the end with Madeline. I know this is coming in a bit, but it's it's just such a perfect like just when you've almost forgotten about it that he offers her the handkerchief and then pull. It's just it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? it? It's yeah. beautiful. It's the right timing as yeah. well. Mm. But I, I say it's all set up, and it's not. Of course, it's it's actually a massive turning point because this is the point where Kermit knows he has to intervene. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the point yeah. where where Kermit actually. Uh, uh, um, Decides the fate of Gonzo, or, or well, that's not fair to say, but but decides that he's going to um do his friend a favor, really. Yeah, yeah. it's the realization that it's got out of hand without his intervention, so he can no longer just stand by and let Gonzo <laughs> think he's going to marry marry Madeline Khan. It's got out of hand uh, without his intervention. It's basically a line that can go on. The script of every single Muppet yeah. show episode. Yeah. At some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. And then they blow up the Muppet <laughs> And the, yeah. <laughs> and this, I think, the Muppet Newsman blowing up is is possibly the strongest argument for this being patched out of existing pieces mm. for running time. Well, and followed quickly by Rolf singing Up, Up and Away and the candles <laughs> yes. lifting up, which uh, Emma, you just saying about Wayne and Wonder, this to me was pure Wayne and Wonder. Oh yeah, absolutely. It it really was. And I thought it was quite funny how, you know, we've previously spoken about the worry of the candelabra falling over on <laughs> Rolf know, and the fact that it's a light on the piano and there it is launching. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'd forgot I'd forgotten this what was going to happen here, but I saw the strings on the Disney Plus version, and you wouldn't have seen no. them before, yeah. no. right? So they've 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 uh, they've got you know every drop of resolution they can get out of that old <laughs> you can master, and you can just see them you know catching catching the light. But um uh this song again it's a bit of an uh, it's a bit of an illusion because it feels like it comes from another age mm. but it was actually quite a contemporary song it was written by jimmy webb of course writer of some of the greatest songs of all time and MacArthur park possibly the worst song of all time but he wrote he wrote um those lovely glenn campbell songs like um uh, wichita lineman and uh, galveston there's an argument galveston's the finest song ever written i'd say so jimmy webb jimmy webb wrote this beautiful song and it was a, a hit for the um the fifth dimension who um i think they got to number one with this and a bunch of other uh songs around around this this uh uh this time a mm. bunch of which were written by 
Laura Nairo, this is going to take us full circle right back to the start of the episode here. Laura Nairo, unfortunately, actually died young as well of ovarian cancer, as did Madeline Kahn. And she, her biggest hit was a cover version of Up on the Roof, Carol King's Up on the Roof. And Carol King's album Tapestry, the greatest album ever recorded, was recorded in what was the AMC recording studios which are now part of the muppet studios wow good it all, all there you go i joined you it did. all together and the entire episode joined together in a big loop you made a beautiful bow <laughs> <laughs> you made a tapestry <laughs> it all roads lead back to the muppets always uh, but uh, yeah my only point of reference for the up up and away song when he started was um there's a great joke in an episode of The Simpsons where they go to a, a an airbase and they're they're all there to see an air show, but then to like eke it out, the uh, the general he said like, "Hey, do any of you like box kites?" And then all the audience groans as like twenty children bring out box kites that are just being <laughs> put along, and and they're playing up up and away behind them. And then Martin Prince just walks up to the microphone holding his box kite saying. The common box kite was originally used as a means of drying wet string. And it's just such a stupid non sequitur, but it's the only point of reference I have for the song Up, Up and Away. (laughs) (laughs) And it always makes me laugh because it's just such a stupid, brilliant line. (sighs) Anyway, just wanted to mention. (laughs) It was was a smash hit in its day. It was a a number one, I believe, in the US. I believe. We will take your... We're not going to question. It may have been the album that was the number one. It may have been the single, but it was was huge nonetheless. Yeah. And then we move from the little sort of almost laughing style sort of quick joke with Rolf and his candlestick back to Sad Gonzo. Uh, Sitting in his little suit and singing with his legs dangling off the end... Again, and I know she's now getting mentioned every single episode somehow, but this was giving me very Judy Garland vibes to have him just sitting. (laughs) Before we get to Gonzo doing his Judy, you have Kermit and Madeline having their conversation about him and about how he's, you know, as Kermit says, gone bananas because she's been nice to him. Yeah. And I thought the setup of this was so clever because they'd done it so well that you could see Gonzo come around the corner in the background of the shot and hover there. Oh, I know. You you had him reacting, but not overreacting, just, just subtly enough in the background. Mm. But it made it so seamless and so... Yeah, they sort of get away with it, Jade, but... But they would have seen him. Well, yeah, they, they would have. They would have seen him. <laughs> they absolutely would have seen him. But I think, like for the, for the purposes of mise en scène. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're still relatively limited in their sort of camera setups in the backstage area, aren't they? Yeah. There's not that much they can sort of do at the moment between that mm. that area that's downstairs and upstairs. So I think like. They kind of made the best of it because to have him coming out of one of the dressing room doors, for example, that obviously would have called attention to him a bit more than him just coming round the corner. They needed to cheat them both out towards camera slightly, but it wouldn't have given us great sight lines on them. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit bit, bit, bit tricky. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Sidebar, Madeline Kahn's outfit in this scene is my outfit of the week. I would very much like those white high-waisted jeans. (laughs) Carry on. Yeah. I just thought the fact that it then moved into Gonzo having a number in the backstage area was really lovely. I was expecting Madeline to join in in a bit more of a way than she did, though. Just standing. Yeah. 
it was it was a little bit peculiar that yeah she just stood there i think i think it's because she's not on the like so it, it, one of the Muppet Show albums has a recording of this song on it and they don't have someone to perform her line or whatever so so she had to sort of find something physical to do really and and I think you know she's quite quiet and she's quite still and she was sort of centred on the sort of the gentleness of the whole thing so she couldn't really do any shtick or anything mm. so maybe it was a sort of a bit of a misconnect of song and mm. And the need for a reaction, really, because there's no space for her to do anything in the song. Yeah, she gets her little nice little hair toss in before he starts his uh, his final verse when he says, "Let me just carry on with my song." She's like, "Oh, well, fine," which I thought was a nice little beat. But um, yeah, you're right. Otherwise, she's just kind of observing. Yeah, I mean, they have a little bit of a cuddle, don't they? Um, mm. But that's mainly it, really. It's worth. I mean, it's just worth it, though. I mean. Yeah, it is. It's it's such a it's such a beautiful rendition by gonzo it's so Mm. emotional and the fact that she is crying at the end you totally totally buy that because you it both times i've watched it before recording made me really really genuinely feel for him deep deep down (laughs) i was just gonna say i mean i was i was too so why wouldn't she be do you know what i mean yeah yeah i wish i had a coat of silk the color of the sky. I wish I had a lady fair as any butterfly. I wish I had a house of stone that looked down on the sea. But most of all, I wish that I was someone else but me. Gonzo. Oh, hi, Miss Khan. Gonzo, I'm very sorry I made you sad. <sighs> you know, I, I just really don't think it would work out if we got married. Yeah, I suppose I am kind of short for you. No! No, it, it's... Well, anyway, hey, <clears throat> I hope we can be the very best of friends. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And if there's anything I can ever do for you... There is one thing. What? Let me finish my song. Oh, of course. I'd love to hear it. Now I don't have a coat of silk, but still I have the sky. Now I don't have a lady, but there goes a butterfly. Now I don't have of stone but I can see the sea now most of all I know that I am happy to be me do you know the song Brendan wishing song because I I didn't know it only from here mm-hmm. right and well actually not only from here only from various Muppet versions but a little bit of research told me that a band called Airborne Toxic Event did a cover version of it, which is sort of appropriate with our puppet away and so on. But there are <laughs> numerous Muppet versions of this, actually. Mm. And they performed it live as part of... They did a bunch of live stuff in the mid-'80s, and it's mm. part of the rep, rep that they did, repertoire they did then. I can see why it's something that they would bring back. It's clearly a very Henson message in terms of, you know, 
coming to accept yourself and making the most of what you have but also there is genuine emotion in in it too um so i'm not surprised it's part of the the muppet repertoire of of songs it's it's a microcosm for the episode actually because the first half of it it's like come on gonzo you know what i mean it's like i can't feel sorry for you because because of these things and then it moves on to somewhere you really do feel for him and you really do and you're really pleased he gets it and he do you know what i mean i mean it's like yeah. the entire episode condensed into to the narrative of the song so that's 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 better absolutely yeah and and finishing with the hanky which is just perfect brilliant perfect <laughs> yeah anything we wish to say about the goodbyes i loved him saying to her you're gonna have to go to the pta meetings alone <laughs> Oh, brilliant! That was brilliant. great. Like, like it was his imaginary life is so real yeah, to him so that rich. there are repercussions within it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you a story just because I want to tell a story about my about my dad because I think this is my dad and and Gonzo being quite similar to each other actually. <laughs> um, towards the end of my dad's life, he was a bit poorly, and we were trying to count his siblings. He always said he was the middle one of seventeen. Wow. So we were getting this list, and uh, um, he's an Irish Catholic family, right? Um, if my name didn't give them <laughs> uh, And we kept getting to 16, and we were just stuck, and we just couldn't we just couldn't come up with the 17th. So we phoned my auntie Kitty, and we said, you know, who's the 17th? She said, oh, that'd be, that'd be Milko. We're like, who's, who's Milko? And she said, oh, it's your dad's imaginary friend. <laughs> so um, I said to my dad, I said, um, I said, Dad... What's Milko, what was Milko like? And, you know, I'm thinking of, like, Inside Out. You know, I think he's about to say, oh, it's like a cat made out of springs or something. Do you know what I mean? He went, Dad, what was Milko like? He's like, yeah, he was all right, yeah. <laughs> so he was so real to him. That was the sort of response he merited. And um, there's just a few minutes walk from my house, somebody's graffitied the word Milko on a bridge, and every time I see it, it just makes me think of my dad. But this little... Little, this the repercussions of, of Gonzo's imaginary world being real and tangible and prosaic to him. And you know, you're gonna have to go to all these PTA meetings by yourself. Just completely reminds you of my dad, like, yeah, well, yeah, he's all right, he was all right. Oh, that's <laughs> although I would say I would very happily go to even a PTA meeting if it meant I got to go with Madeline Khan. I think <laughs> if, there's, if there was anybody who could jazz up a PTA meeting, it would uh, it would be her or indeed Gonzo. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. Either I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't complain about either of them. Do you know what I mean? Let, let's be clear. Let, let, uh, you know, I'm not one to be talking about people having overdeveloped imaginary <laughs> lives, given half of the conversations we've had tonight about you know meeting muppets and the like. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to go to a PTA meeting with Madeline Khan, I think I'd slightly prefer to go with Gonzo. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Because, I mean, if worse comes to worse and it gets really boring, you can just both shoot yourselves out of a cannon away from the situation. <laughs> Try and stop it. Exactly. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how we are all going to uh, rank the episode. But first, we must do our MVMP, our Most Valued Muppet Performer. Emma, why don't you kick us off? Who was your MVMP for this week? So my MVMP for this week is going to be Gonzo. (laughs) It's a great little plot for him through this episode. And it's just so nice, as we were saying earlier on, 
to see him out of his like artist in residence phase and actually we're getting the like character of Gonzo and I just loved his like interactions throughout this episode from Eric the Clam to Madeline to like Kermit and all in between and I think it was just really nice to sort of see him and sort of see his character as well develop um, through this episode so yeah my MVMP is gonna be Gonzo how about you Jade? So I've given it to Gonzo a few times already this season, so I didn't want to go with him again. So I was trying. Jade, we've learned not to <laughs> not try to and do skew- this. Yes, no, no. But I, I was thinking about what was the Muppet that came on and gave the episode a bit of a bit of zazz to use one of our other favorite phrases <laughs> and <laughs> the lobster banditos. I mean, as problematic as they were, they were amazing. I loved them. Yeah. I thought they were almost like proto-Pepe's and we all know how I yes, feel about Pepe. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, I'd love to know what Pepe has to say about Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, if if I ever get the pleasure, I will 100% ask him. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think they look delicious, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm going lobster banditos. Um, Brendan, I don't want to leave you to last. So uh, who was your MVMP for the episode? The frog. I mean, obviously, the frog. <laughs> Always. Always. Yeah, fine. Always. I mean, but, but it, you know, I, I think there's an argument, again, that that Gonzo's on the wrong track here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, you know, not to say he couldn't have pulled himself out of it by himself, not to say he couldn't have learned these lessons by himself, but, but as it happened, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Thank goodness Very for true. Kermit. Yeah. Thank goodness for Kermit. Oh, <laughs> put that on a T-shirt, I say. <laughs> Emma's looking after merch. Speak with Emma about merch. Yeah, we've got to get some merch deals going on. (laughs) So I think my MVMP this week, Jade, I'm joining you. I'm also choosing Lobster Banditos. (laughs) There's nothing funnier than anything in a tiny hat. Now there's, that's what I want on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, so uh, this week it's lobster banditos all the way. But um, let's be fair, let's, it's worth remembering, because uh, it's so long since we talked about it, <laughs> which of these sketches do we hear on commercials to this day? Which of these sketches do we hear, you know, Happy Feet? Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there's no way that movie would have been called Happy Feet without this bringing it back into the consciousness. Kermit's song and dance at the start of this has been massively instrumental in the way we think about the Muppets since I think yeah Yeah. I would agree yeah and actually it's so that's why I was so pleasantly surprised to sort of uh, hear it pop up so early I sort of assumed it may be something we'd get further down the line so it's like when you got um, uh, when we got Robin's song so early in the first season as well that we were sort of quite and it's not that easy being green as well just sort of both popping up so uh, in the first season a song that actually seems like it's just been part of the fabric of planet earth since it was formed though in a way really it's like elemental that one i think that joe raposo really out out outdoing himself there yeah that and rain i mean obviously rainbow connection but Good lord, yeah. When you come to my funeral, you can look forward to hearing that one, I think. Oh. (laughs) Well, thanks for the invite. (laughs) uh, Thank you so much. I'm sure it won't be any time soon. This recording of this podcast will be your your, uh, invite. (laughs) Skip it forward to one hour 40 so you go, no, look, he he said it. He said it. He said it. He said it. All right, let's, let's, let's move on from Brendan's funeral to uh, the uh, rankings uh, for this week. 
Jade, what are you going to give the episode this week? This is definitely my favourite episode of this season so far. I think it's, quite frankly, heads and shoulders above all of the other ones. It's It's got such a solid narrative arc. It's got so much fantastic character work. Um, it's got really clever things in that plot as well, like we've spoken about with the you know, with the tux and with the, with the station wagon and the PTA and everything. Yeah. I do think there's some slightly odd things going on, like the fact that Madeline's not in it a whole ton. And also that there's these really tiny, tiny little sketches against some really, really long ones. So I think some of the pacing is maybe ever so slightly off. Although having said that, it moves at a snap and it's a delight to watch from start to finish. So... All in all, on balance, I'm going to go with seven and a half out of ten solo PTA meetings. Um, no. <laughs> I just can't get over them. I love them. And yeah, I I think it's just fantastic. And Madeline is absolutely brilliant in it. And if anything, I just wish we had more of her interacting with, with the Muppets. Um, but I really loved that we had so many Muppets in this episode, um, you know, it was so nice to be able to say that we had an episode that almost had, well, not even almost had, had representation from all of our major Muppets. So yeah, seven and a half solo PTA meetings out of 10. Emma, how about you? What are you going for? My ranking for this episode is eight out of 10 hot plates. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the the funny thing is jade pretty much what you said was what i wrote down i wrote uh madeline was a superior guest star it was a solid fun crazy sweet beautiful effortless episode essentially i think again it's my favorite so far that we've seen for season two like you said head and shoulders above the rest and you know madeline as a guest star i think has been the best that we've also seen so far as well so that's why I decided to give it eight out of ten hot plates. How about you, Brendan? Oh, I hate putting numbers on things. What's this out of? Ten. Ten. Then eleven. <laughs> we'll say hey. eleven yodeling clams. Fantastic. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Lovely. All right. My ranking for this week, Jade, I am going with you. Uh, literally, because I'm going to say seven and a half Jade remaining toes out of... <laughs> I know. It's eight well, and a half. Keep, you toenails. can keep that one. <laughs> I've got all of my toes. I just want to make that crystal clear. Okay? <laughs> You're like, Ooh, I, I just, just want to put that out there. This, you want to attract the right sort of wrong yeah. people. <laughs> it, as I said at the start of the episode, it's a very specific fetish you would need in order to want to look at my feet. Okay, Jade, it's very specific. It's the internet. There's always someone. <laughs> like, I, there I don't all. deny it, but it is very specific. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, this, I think, uh, with us going on our chronological journey of watching all of The Muppet Show for the first time, I think when we finished season one, we did just kind of immediately assume that the show would just have worked out all of its kinks and we'd come back to just, you know, episode after episode of just like high quality 10 out of 10 episodes all the way through. We have now seen, you know, uh, I'd say a third of the episodes of this season and it's not quite been maybe what we expected. This, I think, would probably be, oh, apart from maybe Steve Martin, I guess, uh, would be the first episode where it feels it feels of the quality that I almost assumed was going to be every week. And that is so down to the strength of the writing, the narrative, 
And obviously, I mean, I feel slightly biased because Madeline Kahn could have just stood there and, I don't know, read the phone book. And I would have been like, <laughs> five stars, loved it, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, there was always going to be a slight bit of, uh, you know, preference. But I think that's for good reason, because Madeline Kahn is one of the greatest comedic actors that we've uh, ever had. And I think the episode gives her enough to do that it feels like it's worthy of her talent and her skill. So she is not wasted, uh, as we've seen the Muppets occasionally do with some guests who feel very much underutilised. They they knew what they had when they got Madeline and they and they rose to the occasion. So yeah, uh, <laughs> seven and a half of Jade's eight and a half remaining toenails, but <laughs> out of ten for the ranking in general. <laughs> Can't wait to write that on the Excel. That number is like three dimensional chess. <laughs> I'm just really like, like, confused. Seven and a half out of eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, right, Jade. We are hustling our way over to your reading nook for Jade's. Book Club, <laughs> where people can get a bootleg reading of a few pages of, of Muppets and Men <laughs> without having to spend <laughs> upwards of £60 <laughs> to find one available on eBay. Or if you're like me, stumble across one for free from a box on a street in London. No! <laughs> yes, yep. it's true. I found literally, and I mean... The, the da- you live a charmed life. <laughs> I, I Doesn't mean, he the just? Stri- the streets aren't paved with gold down in London. They are paved with <laughs> rare first edition books that people don't realise they have. I wow. literally picked up out of a, a box. I think it wasn't even, it was outside of a pub. Um, and I just picked up and went, oh, I like the Muppets and took it home. I have not even opened it and read it. I just sort of flicked through it a couple of times. And when Jade brought up, oh, there's this really old, quite rare book about the making of the Muppets. And I went, oh, of, of Muppets and Men. She was like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I've got one over here. It's just <laughs> underneath these other coffee table books. So if I'm not very much mistaken, you were sent to me by Simon Brew. You were like, hey, I know a guy for your podcast. And that was Simon sent you my way, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Simon, bless him, put a bunch of old Muppet books in a box for me and sent me them for Christmas last oh. year. And... um I think I had one of them, but you know it's always n- nice, and uh, um, I'm still waiting for uh, for this particular volume, Simon. If you're listening, you <laughs> haven't got of Muppets and Men, Brendan. I don't. Oh, no, I don't. I mean, it is it is beautiful. But you know, I will. Um, uh, I can attest yeah, to that. Uh, have you met Have you met Kermit? Uh, no, is this I have be a competition. <laughs> oh. Is this going to be? <laughs> but I, I did. I did. I did find a cheap-ish version of of Muppets and Men on eBay. No, no. I take Look, one day. I'll learn. One day I'll learn money, and I'll. Just buy it. <laughs> Whatever the price. I'd tag take is. Meet and Kermit any day of the week, but yeah. it is a beautiful, beautiful book. I will give it that. Actually, I, I do want to show you the bit that I'm gonna read from. The page before it in this has actually got a picture of Richard Hunt with his Oh Lobster, Lobster Bandito. Bandito. Wow. Look at that go. Oh, Richard, yeah. Richard, Richard. In the current issue of Film Stories magazine, there are some interviews I did about Street Gang, the new documentary about <gasps> Sesame Street. Yes. Now that'll be, a, I think, I think you guys are quite proactive and you're recording a little bit ahead of time. So that'll be a slightly older issue of Film Stories magazine, but you'll be able to go on the website and buy back, back issues. Um, 
Uh, and a little bit we talked about Richard Hunt in those interviews because sadly there's not really much space for him in the documentary. But um, you know that like he needed to be to be acknowledged. But um, a great film. It's really great. Mm. I watched it on a plane and I I saw I stumbled across it thinking oh I don't remember hearing anything about this assuming because it was on a plane it must be at least a few months old and I realised I think they must have just popped it straight on immediately onto this flight i don't quite... yeah i think i think it was um a hbo max release in the u.s and i think a lot of hbo max stuff actually just gets dumped straight off plane. i think that's why because i was i literally stumbled across it being like oh great well that's my next two hours sorted for this flight i, I was happy <laughs> as larry it was fantastic yeah it's a really yeah, really great documentary really thoroughly yeah. recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it the story john john stone is you know everybody sort of everybody lots of people know about Jim Henson and Joan Gans Cooney but John Stone's story has largely mm. been untold and I think mm. that film does a, does a beautiful job and uh, Matt Robinson as well of course and, and uh, making sure people understand Matt Robinson's contrib- contributions uh, I think there's a, a documentary just about Matt Robinson waiting yeah. to be made I so mean, um, yeah. let's do it guys <laughs> the Kickstarter that can be our next project <laughs> yeah after we get to meet the Muppets then we'll do <laughs> yeah. the Maybe the documentary should be about us trying to meet the Muppets. That would be an amazing... amazing. I'd love that. There's, that would be great. Have you seen that film, My Date with That's Drew? literally yes. what I was just thinking yes. in my head. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. What, a, what a bizarre little artefact that it's is. It's a little bit desperate, isn't it? It's yeah. a bit like the, oh, when Mila Kunis come to prom with me sort of yes. thing. You remember that? Habit. I think... I think there was such a proliferation of these things through social media that there's just absolutely no chance of them happening no. now, really. Yeah. So what you've got to do, guys, is you've got to make a friend who works in a cinema and then go and visit them <laughs> on your break from university. Like, if you've got a 25-year plan, <laughs> it will end up with you meeting them up at some Eventually. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm going to read from a little bit from of Muppets and Men by Christopher Finch, and I'm going to read a little bit about Dave Goals because Gonzo's clearly such an instrumental part of this episode. I thought it was only right to give him a little bit of due. Christopher Finch writes, the newest of the first string performers, Goals is able to recall quite vividly the difficulties that encountered when he began working with the Muppets. For me, he says, they fell into three categories: technical, performance, and emotional. From a technical point of view, working with the Muppets is like learning to play the drums, only much harder. You have to do many things at the same time, and each of them presents a special problem. To give just one example, what you see in the monitor is reversed, so to have your puppet move to the left, you must move him to the right. It takes maybe five years to begin to do everything without thinking about it. In fact, I still find it difficult. As far as performing is concerned, unlike some of the other puppeteers, I had no background. There was some germ there, but I'd never thought seriously about developing it. I took one acting class, literally one two-hour class, but for the most part I had to learn on the job. Music was another problem. In the early days, it took me a week to learn a melody, and it still isn't easy. Emotionally, I found working with the Muppets a strain at first, because I was travelling in pretty heavy company. There's Frank and Jim to start with, but then I found myself on a set with people like Lena Horne and Peter Ustinov. There was a lot of pressure. Despite the strain of learning his craft in front of the cameras, Dave Goals has demonstrated that he has an uncanny ability to get inside a character and, while his style of performance is quite different, he is capable of bringing to a role the same intensity of concentration as Frank Oz. This gift is one of those things that are difficult to communicate verbally. It's easy for me to do Bunsen, says Goals, because I've known dozens of Bunsens. Actually, I don't think he's very funny, except as a foil for Beaker, who is one of my favourite characters. Zoot is a big puzzle for me. 
people write to me and say they know people exactly like Sue. Well, I'd like to meet one of them because I've never met anyone like that. I found that when the writers gave Zoot lines to speak, I would always try to give them away to other characters because I didn't know what to do with him. Maybe that helped to define the character. Perhaps it's best that he's so non-verbal. I do know how to make him play the saxophone and I guess that's what Zoot is all about. Zoot is just a 50-year-old burnout musician. The audience is making the character by filling in the blanks. His finest creation, it goes without saying, is Gonzo. It seems likely that any of the top Muppet performers could have developed Gonzo into a funny character, but it's doubtful that anyone but Dave Goles could have made him so complex. Gonzo is to some extent defined by his role in the show, yet he could have been interpreted in several different ways. He could, for example, be made to seem half-witted. That possibility was implicit in the early scripts, but Goles has a way of avoiding the obvious. His gonzo displays a certain perverse intelligence. He performs improbable feats that have very painful consequences, not because he is stupid, but because he is prepared to do anything for effect, and perhaps rather enjoys the pain. It may be, as Gold said, that everything gonzo does is inappropriate, but that is not because he is short of marbles, but rather because his intelligence is focused on other goals. Dave goals! That's what I... No, sorry. Yes, no pun intended. No pun intended exactly. by Christopher Finch there. <laughs> have you um have have you ever puppeteered? I unfortunately have done a little being an actor. I have been known to pick up a puppet when 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 a when a children's theatre show has demanded it. Yes, a pu- a puppet of this kind. Um, no, not a not more of a, a, sort of a, a more marionette sort of thing. Uh, uh, so I've had to do like a one of those, but not with a, a simultaneous right. kind of like rod as well. Yeah. So I had a little go. Mm. Louise Gold was actually doing like a little uh, meet and greet thing mm. and she got a bunch of people up and, and, and gave us actual puppets and had us have a go. And of course, the first thing everyone does, first of all, is they create the flip top head experience. They move the top of the hand up rather than the bottom. And one of the first things you've got to do is while it's learning everything back to front in the monitor, mm. of course, that, you know, that, that's just something you're going to slowly get used to. Is you've got to get used to moving your uh, oh, thumb instead yeah. of the top of your hand. Yeah. And and it's really counterintuitive. For some reason, we just want to go quack, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? But once you've got it, like immediately, the thing seems seems alive, really. Well, it actually seems to be the most, the most important part of the trick is pointing the eyes at something mm. and not staying still. Yeah. 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 Some form of motion or intent, and I know that when the when the um, the Muppet guys go to Pixar to teach animation students there, that the idea that that the eyes lead to something and don't rest there and move on, and that there is a sort of a sense of momentum of attention mm. is one of the first things they they teach them. And if you go back and you you look at uh, you know quiet Muppet performances, you can you can see how much they're thinking. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What a, what a pleasure to meet Louise Gold and um, do a workshop with her as well, Brendan. That's amazing. Oh, oh, I mean, really, really. It was um, it was a sort of a retrospective for the for the Dark Crystal. I don't know what you guys think of the of the movie, but I think it's one of those that doesn't really live up to its its promise. Really, I've only seen it once a very long time ago. And that's more just because fantasy is not really my bag. <laughs> but, right. Um, yeah, I, but it was one of those things where even as a kid, I was like, oh, well, I know this is Jim Henson, so I'm I'm still going to watch it anyway. In- incredibly accomplished in so mm. many ways. And yet the story is just not quite c- clicking. And I think the Netflix show was extraordinary, really, because it sort of it added 
a lot of what was missing from the film and a lot more besides. Uh, but it was so expensive. It was so expensive. It would need to have been the biggest show on earth for them to make more of it. Yeah. And as successful it was, it wasn't that. Um, so when the, sh- the film was having some sort of anniversary and the show was n- nearing release, she uh, went to like just a small event for fans of The Dark Crystal. I just went along. And um, she had a bunch of puppets. She got us up. There was a, a, a monitor. We could look at ourselves backwards oh, cool. in. And, you know, we were like in the, in, the, uh, in, in the belly of the beast, really. And she was lovely. And I did try... I, I did try to um, get her interested in a, in a script I've got because um, you know you know there was a time I was writing scripts I just thought you know I'm writing a lot of things because I think people other people want them I'm going to write the thing I want mm. I'm going to write the movie I really want to see and it's um, like a, a, an Agatha Christie country house murder mystery in which the entire cast are puppet animals brilliant and um, <laughs> I'm extremely pleased with it. Um, I don't know if you know um, the Poirot books are being officially continued by Sophie Hanna, mm. who has written several Poirot books, and she said some very kind things about it. Talks about how how clever the cluing was and stuff like that. So it's sort of got, got a little bit of endorsement from the Christie side, and I'd love to get it on. A, like, if there's a, anyone at Henson listening to this, I really want you to read this thing because it's it is even if I say so myself, an extremely clever story and really does come from the heart and um uh it's the one screenplay i've written that i i really more than anything else want to see yeah but the reaction it, it tends to get is well people don't make puppet movies <sighs> they should more fool them <laughs> yeah. yeah well i will just say before we wrap up properly thank you so much brendan for coming yes. on thank but you can you let people know where they can uh follow you maybe on twitter and also crucially where the good people at the jim henson company can get in touch with you to uh, <laughs> to make the script a reality so um the best place to look for me is always on on social media so brendan connolly b-r-e-n-d-o-n-c-o-n-e-l-l-y um and uh thanks dad for those two misspellings give me a different spelling of both of those than where they intended um uh and twitter's best place to to look for me really but um even when i'm not there dms will reach me and they're always open to people fantastic brendan thank you genuinely so much for joining us like i mean we could have spoken i mean this is already now i believe officially our longest ever episode and i feel like we could have definitely have gone even longer just uh chatting all things muppets and your if you don't get me back on the liza minnelli episode oh, i will be brendan upset. i'm afraid there's quite a cue for the <laughs> you you've already come too late to the the you are at wow. you are literally the z of liza with a z in the a to z of but the... then what i'm gonna what i'm gonna say in that what i'm gonna say in that case is um i've already done a big twitter thread about it and uh if people want to check that out and uh that's a little bit about them how the murder mystery is structured in it and how that works as a story people can find that I, on my twitter i'm account. very like because obviously we are watching this for the first time so your little hints about there's a murder mystery in the liza minnelli episode of the Muppet <laughs> show it's already got me like oh my god what the hell is gonna happen like i'm very excited there's a murder mystery in the liza minnelli episode and in a funny sort of way the first clue was in the madeline khan episode Ooh, okay Ooh. oh my god just look just dropping breadcrumbs for us to pick up god knows i mean whenever we reach liza minnelli <laughs> years <laughs> from now when we finally get to it but um genuinely brendan thank you so much for joining us and uh thank you to all of our listeners for listening to muppet sational if you enjoyed the episode don't forget to subscribe rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast 
You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetational on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com. And you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us on this bumper-sized episode of Marpetational. Uh, Jade, who's editing this one? I mean, Is I suppose me? I better take it. No, I, I can I can remember. No, no, I'm it. happy to take it. I'm happy to take it. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's like, don't be silly. It's going to be a no. delight to listen back to it, and absolutely, I'm, I'm sure that our listeners will thoroughly enjoy all yeah. of your. Muppety goodness and knowledge. It's been it's been amazing to, to have and you look, on. And so look, we've managed you. to remember to record this one. Yes. So, <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> so until next week, everybody. I've been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jake Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. We shall see you next week on another episode of Muppetational. Bye. Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram. That was a funny show. Yes, it was. I wonder if they meant it that way. (laughs) 